Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devinder Hardwar, Jeff Kanata, and Christy Puchko. Welcome to the show, everyone. And today is a great day uh, this year in film. It is Avengers Infinity War Day, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and that means all we're going to do today is dive into the latest Marvel film, the most ambitious crossover event in cinematic history, Avengers Infinity War. Uh, so lots to discuss. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. We already got a few Avengers-related emails. Uh, but before we dive into this film, a couple of announcements. First of all, uh, congratulations, Jeff Kanata. You uh, are a new father. What's the term for it? You had a second kid. So, <laughs> a father again. A father again? Is that what it is? Yes. <laughs> I have had my second child, uh-huh. uh, a, little, a little girl, uh, Zoe Marie, we named her. Aww. Oh, that's a great name. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It's because my wife wouldn't go for an Atiri, so we had to go with Zoe. Mm, yeah. Uh, Tough call. I mean, after the Jake yeah. Sully didn't go over for the first child, you know. R- right, right. Yeah. Jack's pretty close, though. Pretty Jack, close. Jake, pretty close. <laughs> Is Sully the middle name? Uh, yes, <laughs> Jack Sully. Jack Sully, Kanata. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. very culturally relevant, my child. Yep. Um, so I'm, uh, yes, I've had quite the week, um, but I appreciate that, guys. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, and everything went well, it sounds like, based on the photos I saw on Instagram and so on? Um, I don't know if we want to go into all that, but uh, <laughs> both mom and kid are doing, are doing good at the moment, yes. Awesome. Uh, we, you know, it, was, it, was, uh, it, was, it had its share of a drama. Uh, maybe we can have an After Dark Sunday and I'll, I'll regale you with stories from the hospital. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, glad to hear uh, everything's going okay, and congratulations again, Jeff. And um, somehow, despite the fact that you have two extremely young children in your house, you've joined us today to review Avengers Infinity War. So, we're Well, hey, Dave, it's even crazier than that. You know, I don't know uh, if I mentioned this before on the show, but um, we our, our little girl, Zoe, was, was breach, which means uh, we had to schedule a C-section. So we got to choose the date and time mm-hmm. uh, of her arrival into this world. Uh-huh. And we scheduled it uh, around my screening of Avengers Infinity Ward. <laughs> my wife uh, is uh, a very wonderful lady and understanding. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I literally saw uh, the movie at 10 a.m. On, on Tuesday the 24th and then picked up my wife and we went to the hospital and our, our daughter was born that same day. Right. Or as I might put it, one of them was a life-changing event that your entire existence has been leading up to. And the other one was the birth of your child. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Boom goes a dynamite. Boom goes a dynamite. <laughs> Boom goes a dynamite. So, uh, <laughs> well, congrats, Jeff. And yeah, it's, it's awesome you. that you get to join us. And I think, you, I think your exact words were, there's no way in hell I'm missing this podcast. So That's right. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Uh, one other announcement before we begin talking about Avengers today. And that is, we want to thank uh, Candy Apple Fox. Candy Apple Fox. Uh, .com, uh, a very talented artist who drew an illustration. For the summer movie wager this year, uh, we'll put that on like the Slash Filmcast Twitter and Facebook page this week, so you can check it out there. But uh, Candy Apple Fox, you know, did an illustration of all the summer movie wager participants, uh, kind of based on the choices they made in the summer movie wager. Like last year, he illustrated us in the in the style of like the movies that we chose for number one. But since everyone chose the same movie for number one, he had to mix it up a little bit. Um, but it's an awesome illustration, and uh, we just wanted it's to It's mostly thank... us as the Avengers, and yeah. then Peter as one of the Incredibles. Yes, for some <laughs> it's reason. so great. For some reason. So um, great. 
He's so incredible. A lot of really yeah. great details. I particularly like Devendra's face's vision. Like the expression <laughs> is just really great. Mm, agree. Yeah. Like he's already sick of all of us. <laughs> yeah, he's like I, I over didn't even it. Have to he's, be there on the episode. He's noping out. It. It's yeah. noping out of that episode. He's yeah. just like, don't even. He's phasing away. Mm. <laughs> Thanks again to CandyAppleFox.com. Check out uh, his work there. Uh, he's a very talented dude. And uh, Summer Movie Wager is now underway. We had thousands of entrants uh, before the actual uh, movie wager, like before uh, Avengers Infinity War came out, way more than last year. So I think there's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of juice behind this movie wager contest. A lot of people are really, really into it this year, and I am looking forward to watching you all lose at the end of the summer. So, How many put Teen Titans Go on their list? I want to know that. I think it's in the single digits. Uh, as <laughs> Jeff said, that movie will be your dog. We'll see who's laughing in August, guys. Uh, yeah, we will see. I just, oh, oh boy. I, uh, my heart literally hurts that you put that on your list, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like as that episode was happening, I felt a disturbance yeah. uh, in the force. Like, what, what's happening? I'm sorry. I'm not the one to put Christopher Robin on my list thinking that it was going to be an adaptation of the Winnie the Pooh books. Mm. Hey, I was just standing oh, over here letting man. you guys argue, and now I get I get thrown to the wolves. Um, <laughs> no, you were like hiding because to... you were like, maybe no one will talk about Christopher Robin. That's, that's, that's accurate. That's accurate. Um, I would like to point out how many people tweeted at me, said that they would go see Christopher Robin and simply to help me out this year, wow. which, you know, I think basically a yeah. uh, hundred million know. of them. If you're going to do it. Well, anyway, uh, you can follow along uh, with our wagers at the summer movie uh, I, I think we're all tied for first place right now after this weekend. So yeah. um, that is nice. Like in, enjoy your time at first place, guys. Enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to last that long. I cannot wait till Meg uh, trounces this movie. I don't know. Actually, it is going to last a while. I mean, because yeah. we're we're in April. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It's still April yeah. as we're recording this. Yeah. Um, okay, guys. So, Avengers: Infinity War. The entire time I knew him, he only ever had one goal. to wipe out half the universe. If he gets all the infinity stones, he can do it with the snap of his fingers. Just like that. Tell me his name again. Thanos. We got one advantage. He's coming to us. We have what Thanos wants, so that's what we use. This is a crazy movie, hugely ambitious, and I think it is the the biggest opening weekend of all time in terms of dollar amount, right? Uh, It Mm -hmm. just beat The Force Awakens, and uh, people weren't necessarily expecting that. So, uh, crazy successful... Um, you know I'm going to go to Jeff Kanata first because he probably has the most positive things to say about it. Jeff Kanata, take it, take us through some of your brief general thoughts. I'm going to go to everyone else, and then we're going to go straight to spoilers. So, Jeff Kanata, what do you think of Avengers Infinity War? Oh, I'm not going to be brief. Um, in fact, uh, I, I, I ask for your indulgence uh, to uh, <laughs> allow me to to take a little bit of a preamble to get there. Um, oh yeah, I apologize in advance. <laughs> Uh, because uh, 
faithful listeners of this show will know that anytime we talk about a Marvel property, I tend to say I'm a Marvel zombie from way back. It has become a, a bit of a joke at this point. And I, I use that as shorthand to convey an idea that I think people get, but I kind of want to spell it out now because this movie is special to me because these characters are special to me because way back when I was a, a little kid, one of the first things I remember reading was uh, issues of Spider-Man, the Hulk, and Captain America. These were uh, back when you could get a subscription to comic books and they would be mailed to you in little brown like wraparound paper and it would show up in your mailbox. Probably not very many people in the audience old enough to even remember Marvel doing that, but they did. And they were some of the first things I remember ever reading. And it started a relationship with these characters and comic books in general that has lasted my whole life and really was important and impactful for me in in very uh, trying times in my life. I mean, I wasn't a popular kid growing up. I I escaped into the, these fictions, into these characters, into these situations because I didn't really like myself and I didn't really have a social life and I didn't have any friends. I, I like saying I was a nerd when nerd meant nerd, you know, and it, it's true. Like this is, this was true escapism for me. This was a place I poured my attention and my energy. I would get on my bike and I would ride to the comic book store every day, every day. And I would spend hours and hours sitting around sorting my comic books and just thinking about them, packaging them up and just be wanting to be around them and think about them. And in the late eighties and early nineties, a lot of what comic books in general were doing, but Marvel in particular was this sort of anti-hero, right? The Wolverines and Lobos and Punishers, uh, these sort of dark characters. And I read a lot of those, those comics, but the characters that always resonated for me, the characters I always had the most fondness for were not those characters, were the Spider-Mans and the Captain Americas, these righteous justice, uh, these Boy Scout characters, these characters that were trying to do the right thing faced with very difficult odds. And I, I think that stuff inculcated in me a, a, a real set. I mean, I had strong parent, you know, a, a wonderful family life and great parents that, that, you know, instilled values in me as well. But I think these comics inculcated in me a, a sense of right and wrong and justice and really helped create who I am and how I look at the world, a, a sense of idealism and try to do what's right and and find good in the world. And I'm not overstating it when I say that that's what these icons, these characters mean for me, right? And I would spend hours and hours and hours sitting around dreaming of what a movie with these characters could be like and never thinking it could be possible because all the evidence up to that point when I was a little kid was that superhero movies didn't work. Or if they did work, what they had to do was change everything, was to try to bury the comic bookness of the characters and accentuate the realism or try to fit them and form them into a movie reality that was very, very different from than a comic book reality. And that was the idea in the 90s of how you made – superhero movies, right? Until Marvel started making these superhero movies, you really didn't have, I mean, I guess Tim Burton a little bit and those Batman movies maybe kind of, they, they embraced the cheesiness, but not really the comic book 
idea of what these heroes were, and certainly not Marvel's comic book idea, the sort of respect and righteousness of the relationships between these characters and the fact that they all live in the real world and the difficulties that they ha- they have, right? And then we started getting these movies, and then the first Avengers movie came out, and it seemed like this impossible dream come true. You know, a lot of people make fun of me uh, because I talk about how often I cry in movies, and I'm not ashamed of it, but I'm trying to express how the the heroism on display in these films, the respect for the characters and the relationships to each other, but also to the thing that they're trying to do, the thing that they represent is so forefront, is so prominent and on display in all these movies. It's what Marvel seems to have gotten so right again and again and again, as far as I'm concerned, is the spirit of these noble characters, the nobility and the heroism that they represent. And, you know, I love the intergalactic stuff. I stood in line at Comic-Con to have Ron Lim sign my copy of Silver Surfer 50, which is sort of where the Infinity Gauntlet thing started, way back when I was a little kid. And and this kind of grandiose threat that can only be tackled by having every character team up and bring their A-game to to take on something that is that potent and powerful and scary – was this really cool comic book idea that you didn't really see in any other medium, right? It's comic books were all these individual things. And you had these great team ups that were such wish fulfillment and craziness. And now you have not only an Avengers movie or series of Avengers movies where individual films, heroes are all present together and you have a backstory and you have a connection point that you've made in their individual films. And then they bump into each other in really interesting and fun ways. Now you have this wide breadth of Marvel properties that take place in the solar system and intergalactic sort of sci-fi milieus. And you have Peter Parker on the streets of New York and you have Tony Stark, uh, very pedestrian characters, very realistic characters. And somehow this movie was going to try to bring all of those things and make it not seem absolutely silly, honestly. It's not make these disparate tones, these disparate settings and levels of of heightened uh, sci-fi and fantasy. How would they put all that together and make it work and still maintain the thing that I think is so important, which is the spirit of these characters as human beings, as noble uh, crusaders for 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 truth and justice. So that is the backdrop upon which I say, in reference to this film, that I think it is the most audacious cinematic feat in history. I think just the mere notion of trying to pull this thing off is so insane that you have you know, spacefaring intergalactic guardians of the galaxy. You have gods that we've seen in their own movies from Norse mythology. You have a rich technocrat. (laughs) You have a a high school kid who fights crime in his underoos. All of those things are going to fit in the same movie and not only make sense, not only seem appropriate and not ridiculous, but have to be essential have to be uh, – they have to have their own moments. 
they have to be there. Not just that they've they've stuck them in and it's we pan across and we see, oh, look, there's Black Panther. No, no, no. Black Panther has to be essential. His his role in the film has to be invaluable. He has to have a distinct and important role to play in taking on this challenge alongside every other hero that we meet. And the fact that Marvel has done that and pulled that off, I was in tears throughout this movie just because of that audaciousness, that shooting for the moon. And then where this movie goes and to handle those characters and not be precious about it and be willing to have so much fun and be funny and throw characters into wacky situations with one another and also be serious. And the genius of this, I, uh, among, I think, layers of genius, is somebody at some point understood that in order for Thanos to work, he has to be relatable, understandable, and in as larger than life as he is, has to be not larger than life. He has to he can't just be this two-dimensional cartoon character of a villain, right? We've seen that over and over and over in movies like this. Justice League is a great example where you have in order to create this intergalactic titanic threat, you really re- resort to it just being this two-dimensional space being of infinite potency that has a crazy voice and looks crazy and and is just there to be a threat. But no, what they've done here is give Thanos a reason to do what he does, an ideology that actually is insane and crazy and over the top, certainly, but makes a bit of sense. I mean, certainly we saw that in the Black Panther movies, and I think Marvel is understanding that the stronger your villain, the stronger your heroes can be. And the the performance from Josh Brolin, understand to let him even behind the mask of a fully CGI realized character to actually be human and relatable and clear and small and sensitive. Like all of that, I think is where this movie goes from just being that wish fulfillment that speaks to a little 11 year old Jeff to being something I think even more special and more audacious for quite frankly, like it, it is better that it has any right to be. And It makes me so excited for the future of what these movies can be and the present of what we get to see it. It is, it is an impossible thing that made me cheer with delight and cry and laugh. Uh, It is a thrilling thing that I don't think, I, I think is paced uniquely well. It gives every character something cool to do and is a uh, pays off in such a wonderful way for 10 years of buildup pays off in, in uh, such an impossibly satisfying way. I, I can't believe what they've pulled off here and I loved it. All right. Well, th- genuinely, Jeff, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, and- did you like the movie? <laughs> but tell us how you really felt about it. Could yeah. You? Um, uh, but no, ser- seriously, thank you. And you know, people in the chat room, are, uh, some people in the chat room are saying like, Jeff, mo- uh, Marvel related monologues are some of my favorite part of the podcast. That was a good one, Jeff. That was one for the ages, only to be topped next year by uh, the next Avengers film. So, uh, or our review of it, I should say. So, Christy Puchko, I have yes. no idea what you think of Avengers Infinity War. And I really want to know. <laughs> What did you um, think of this movie? So here's a fun fact for you. I just got back from it for the second time. Oh, wow. Ah. 
Yeah, because I saw it, but my husband hadn't, and it was becoming increasingly dangerous in our household that I was going to drop spoilers. Because <laughs> um, I try really hard not to, but it hits a certain point where he's like, how was work? And I'm just like, oh, well, you know, everybody says this. And he's just like, I didn't see this movie. So, you know, for the safety of our marriage, we went to see it again tonight, or I went to see it again tonight. I don't know how I feel about this movie, because I... I liked it better the second time. The first time, I enjoyed a lot of it and <laughs> hated some of it. And watching it again, I am concerned that it is not so much a movie as like a TV season. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I don't yep. know that that's like a bad thing exactly because I feel like Marvel's kind of writing their own playbook in certain regards. But I think that for me, it's a mixed bag. I think that there's some things in this movie that are really thrilling and wonderful, but I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities and that some of my favorite characters get very little to do, which was very frustrating. Mm. I love the idea of a television series where every episode costs $200 million. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think uh, you know something that Devendra said that really resonated with me. I, I didn't fully agree with it, but I thought there was a lot of truth. In it was, Devendra, uh, I think you tweeted something like, this feels like an entire season of a show compressed yep. into yeah. two and a half hours, right? Yep. Uh, so, yeah, Devendra, take us, talk, talk us through a little bit more of that before we move to spoilers. Sure. So, I, you know, Christy and I, we were at the same screening. And I think we had some, uh, you know, we commiserated after this movie because... I also know that you definitely yeah. heard me gasp very oh, yeah. loudly at a couple of points. Most I'm, definitely. I'm a vocal movie goer. Let, let me tell you, folks, when Christy is in a theater... <laughs> Even if it's a full theater, you will hear, you will know it's Christy when she laughs, uh, like, <laughs> and when she gasps. So that's, I always appreciate that, Christy. Um, I, people I, text me after and go, I heard you in the theater. <laughs> Missed you afterwards. Bye. Yeah. yeah so, Devinger, you tweeted on April 24th Avengers Infinity War feels like a super cut of a TV show season. It's impressive, but there's almost too much going on, giving big moments little time to sink in. End quote. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. I still feel mixed about this movie, basically, uh, because uh, that that tweet still kind of evokes how I'm feeling now. I would like to see it another time. My wife hasn't seen it yet, and I'm sure, um, yeah, we'll we'll have to see it at some point before she gets spoiled. Uh, but but I think the big thing for me is that this is a movie that felt long, but I think if it were longer, it would be better. Mm. And that's kind of a paradoxical thing right. that I'm kind of dealing with right now because it's so ambitious, right? Like everything you're saying is true, Jeff. Uh, we have never seen a movie like this before. But I also I want to go back and listen to our Avengers review because I feel like we were saying a lot of the same things there because that was the sort of team up that honestly was kind of a miracle as well. Uh, but that movie was even though there was like, you know, world stakes there, it was a much smaller movie in a way like that movie made room for each of its characters and, uh, you know, really introduced us to reintroduced us to characters that basically had failed movies. Uh, like Thor, or mm-hmm. uh, well, a bit of Thor, and also a lot and of even Hulk. Hulk. Yeah, purely Hulk. Like Hulk, the Hulk we know is purely from Avengers and not from uh, the Louis Leterrier movie. Yeah, I rewatched that recently. One does not hold up; it's mediocre <laughs> at best. And two, like the character is unrecognizable. There are things that Ed Norton does in that movie that the Mark Ruffalo Bruce Banner would never. It's Most very definitely. weird. So I have to say, like that 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 was the Whedon stamp on Avengers and on the Hulk and everything. And, uh, you know, I appreciate so much of what this movie does because it is sort of like an impossible task, like bringing together uh, a lot of the plot and characters from, what, 18 movies mm-hmm. and, you know, over two dozen superheroes, like, or three, like a lot, 
Dozens. Dozens <laughs> of dozens. superheroes. There's dozens of scores um, even. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So I really yeah, I really appreciate this movie and I really respect what they tried to do here, but I didn't enjoy it. And I felt that I, I think mainly we're gonna go through this thing scene by scene, but I think right from the first scene, yeah, I felt like I felt iffy about how this was all going down. And I have to say, Jeff, like um I I see what you're saying too. Like this definitely evoked uh, certain feelings I had from like comics in childhood, but it was sort of the opposite thing, right? Because, you know, I didn't really have a comic book store next to me. So I'd have to like survive with what was at, you know, Walgreens or stop and shop or something like just the really popular trades and not like the, the, you know, lots of the stuff in between. So I always found it really hard to follow comics, right? Because these things are so insular. If you're not reading every single trade, mm-hmm. if you're not really following, it's hard. Where do you jump in? How does that work? Um, I don't think collected editions were even widely available back then. And there wasn't like a borders or anything uh, to get that stuff. So I felt a lot. I I honestly felt distance from a lot of comics just because it was so hard to get into. And I kind of feel for anybody, you know, who's going to this movie who maybe didn't see. If you didn't see Thor Ragnarok, you have no idea what the hell is happening (laughs) at the beginning of this movie. Right. You know, if you didn't see Guardians of the Galaxy... I guess, yeah, if you didn't see either of them, uh, yeah, they're kind of a big deal. It's 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 a tough complaint because I think we expect, you know, oh, all, all the geeks are going to be watching these things. Uh, but I think they maybe hinged a little too much on the idea that we're all so familiar with these characters that we didn't have to do much to uh, to really tell us who they are within this movie. And at the same time, I think this movie also really treats a lot of characters we love terribly. Mm. And I'm going to go into a lot of that. Like a lot of people acting at a character. Yeah. Things get pretty wild at one point. Um, So I'm, I'm pretty mixed on this movie at this point. Um, You know, I I didn't even, there is so many great big battles. There's so many set pieces and they all just felt like digital noise Mm. in a way. Right. There wasn't anything truly iconic. There wasn't anything like the airport fight uh, from civil war. And that's a movie that, you know, I love like where they were going with that thematically. And that had a ton of characters, but I think that was like the right number and the right way to balance it. Uh, this one, people will appear and two minutes later, they may be dead. And this is, a, you know, significant characters we've been following for years. And that feels like a weird way to treat these characters. So, yeah, kind of mixed. Uh, I would definitely like to see it a second time, though. Yeah, and really wondering how they're going to conclude all of this. Very, very brief story about how I came to see this movie. I, um, uh, my wife bought tickets for the Friday 11 p.m. showing at the Cinerama in Seattle, mm-hmm. and uh, I, you know, after I found found that the movie was two hours and 40 minutes long, I said to her, "Hey, <laughs> like maybe we shouldn't watch it on Friday night." So I bought us two tickets to um, Saturday morning, 11 a.m. Right, and then she says to me. Oh crap! Like I actually accidentally bought us tickets to Friday 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. Um, <laughs> so we had six tickets to Avengers: Infinity War, and uh, I'm like figuring out how to do like deal with them, and I'm like kind of selling them internally at work. You know, yep. like you can put it on a list, and and uh, people will buy them. Uh, well, let me th- say by the way, people, if you buy tickets through Fandango, their in-app refund thing is is a freaking lifesaver. Oh, nice! It's amazing, and it, yeah, it just works. It's you don't have to go through any hassle to refund movies if you can't make it. Very cool. Um, but then what happens was uh, Thursday night rolled around, and we just got super impatient, and we just went to see it that night. <laughs> so we spend, ended up spending a total of eight 
uh, eight, you know, <laughs> Avengers Infinity War tickets worth. Now, that being said, I would we did... say you were trying to affect the summer, summer movie wager so we all have it in first. <laughs> that's right. So. That's right. I, I, I was expecting this story to end with, so we've seen the movie 14 times now already. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, so Dave I, is not going to let those tickets go to waste. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a lead in into the fact that I felt zero desire to see this movie more than once you know like right. Aven- like uh, captain america civil war captain america winter soldier like love those movies um my wife went to see black panther three times in theaters you know mm-hmm. and so, but this was not a movie that i you know for reasons we can get into later like not a film i felt the need to see more than once i, I sold off all my remaining tickets uh, i felt that way when i first saw it and then like five days later i wanted to see it again Mm. Well, yeah, so we'll see if it comes back to me. I, You know, here's the thing. I've heard all of you guys talk about your opinions on this movie, and I think you're all correct. I think Jeff is right that this is hugely ambitious, that the fact that they were able to make it function to any meaningful degree is amazing. Um, but I also think Christy and Devendra are right that like there's many moments that leave me feeling cold, that they, they do fast forward past a bunch of stuff, that some characters are treated terribly in this film. And uh, yeah, in the end, it's, it feels like kind of a kind of a mixed bag. But I, I uh, admire the audacity. I admire uh, the fact that like just logistically, how did they balance all these right. world famous actors, you know, uh, and, and make put them into scenes that like make organic sense. It's just incredible. Uh, and, and to be supported in that, uh, to, to that in that degree. But also, I think that for reasons we'll get into shortly this is a very unique cinematic experience. And what I mean, mm-hmm. what I mean by that is like, uh, not cinematic, a unique uh, film-going experience, right? That uh, sitting in a, like a theater with one of the first audiences in the world to see it uh, is not an experience I will soon forget uh, because of some of the bold decisions that the movie makes. And so uh, I am so glad I had a chance to experience it and to be alive when this movie... Uh, was coming out, but also yeah. it has a lot of problems, and we're going to talk about them. Yeah, so, to to watch it in real time, right? As, yes. as these movies are coming out, there's not going to be anything like that, you know. It, coming to my kids, you know, coming to this movie years from now aren't are not going to have the experience that we had sitting in that theater. Even it's even different than you know. You can sort of let your kids watch the star Wars films and be surprised, you know, at the reveal of, of Vader and Luke, right. Because you can sort of let that happen. But I don't think you could like, you know, step through 18 (laughs) movies on the way to uh, arriving here. You know, it's a very different kind of, of experience. And you know, the entire point of me doing that very lengthy preamble uh, was to express just how, not neutral I am on this topic. So, right. I, and I know people are taking everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. I'm clearly the the one who thinks the highest of this film, but I, I do want to address a couple of things you guys have said. One is I totally agree with what Christy said about Marvel writing a new set of rules here. And I think a lot of people are applying old rules to, to the new rules that they're, that they're using. And that's fine. Like that's your prerogative. If, if, you know, if, if, you want to hold it to that standard. But I think part of what's so exciting about this is like what you're saying, Dave, there's been never been anything like this ever. And the fact that they came to this organically over the course of over a dozen movies to arrive at this one. And yeah, it doesn't introduce people. Yeah. It it gives short shrift maybe to some characters that are beloved, (laughs) but the fact that, that this is something so unique 
that, yeah, you're not even asked to approach this film like you would other films. You it, This it does feel like the season finale or part one of the season finale of a great series. And that's just something nobody's ever tried on the big screen before. I mean, I get what you're saying, but like we're, you're talking about it's being done on a bigger scale, but like you can't walk into the last Harry Potter movie and have that make any damn sense if you haven't seen right, stuff. Right, right. Up. Any I, big I, like I get what you're yeah. saying, but the thing is that we can't actually respond to what you're saying because we're still not in spoilers. Yeah, yeah. So I understand what you're saying and I admire the ambition too, but like we're kind of yeah, at Jeff, an impasse. Let's being able please to wait until spoiler. Like I feel like we yeah. just can't talk about this meaningfully until we get the spoiler. So okay. I'd like to move to that. But suffice to say, uh, you know, the three of us had mixed thoughts. Jeff really loved the movie, and I I side with everyone honestly on this. Um, but uh, before we get to spoilers, we got to thank all the people that donated to the podcast um, and really appreciate all the donors going to slashfilm.com, click on clicking on the slashfilmcast tab and using the PayPal links on the side of the page. Paul Baker gave us an extremely generous donation. Really appreciate that. Silas in Honolulu donated. Josh from DC. Lafayette Crump. Apparently someone's named Lafayette Crump, which is an awesome name. I wish I had a name like that. Thank you for your donation. (laughs) Lafayette. Sorry. Uh, James Corbett gave us donation. Photosophic Inc. gave us donation. Joffrey Patriarca gave us donation. Um, And with that donation, he sent the following message. What if David Chen had a little more money? What if Devinder Hardwar had a little more money? What if Jeff Kanata had a little more money? The answer to all these questions and more is donation. Which hey. is a reference to <laughs> that's Jeff's, the best uh, best use of that meme I've seen yet. <laughs> Jeff's uh, meme that we discussed in the last episode of the Slash Filmcast. Nicholas V gave us a donation, and he writes in. I've been listening to you guys for years and just want to say I appreciate all your insights and banter. Oh, and I'm the one guy who doesn't stop listening when the After Dark starts, so you've got at least one person who listens to them. I do not believe him. <laughs> Thanks to Nicholas <laughs> V for the donation. Thanks also to new subscribers, Josh Hubanks, Del Nakamura, DT Music, Economisk, Forening? Forening? Anyway, I'm sorry if I butchered that. Nailed um, it. Nailed it. John Humphrey. Uh, thank you so much for your subscriptions at the rate of $2 per month. We really appreciate it. Um, again, if you want to support us, help us defray the costs of seeing movies and putting on the show for you, go to SlashFilm.com. Use the SlashFilmCast links on the side of the page. and uh, Or the SlashFilmCast tab. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page, I should say. Uh, and you can donate there. Oh, also, some people can also go to PayPal.me slash filmcast that's paypal.me slash filmcast some people sent money that way as well so we gotta thank uh sean murphy for donating in that way again you can just go to paypal.me slash filmcast donate right from there so thanks to all of our donors we really appreciate it let's move on to spoilers for avengers infinity war now you're looking for the secret you're gonna see this coming no but you won't find it because of course you're not gonna see this coming you're not really looking i have been Puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, everyone, let's dive into spoilers for Avengers Infinity War. And this is one of those movies that demands a scene by scene breakdown and discussion. So uh, I'm just going to read the the plot summary from Wikipedia, and we're just going to go kind of sequence by sequence and uh, and talk about some of the things worth highlighting from each sequence. So uh, the movie begins, having previously acquired the Power Stone from the planet Xandar, Thanos and his henchmen, Cull Obsidian, Ebony Maw, Proxima Midnight, and Corvus Glaive, 
by the way, really, uh-huh. really cool. Great names. band, great band. Um, yeah. Intercept the ship carrying the survivors of Asgard's destruction. Thor, Loki, Heimdall, and Hulk are powerless to prevent them from extracting the space stone from the Tesseract. As Thor is imprisoned and Thanos overpowers Hulk, Heimdall sends Hulk to Earth using the Bifrost before being killed. Thanos kills Loki, then departs with his henchmen and obliterates the ship. So, Devendra, you were saying how me- yeah. I mean, this movie begins in media res, right? And media res. You know, at the end of Thor Ragnarok, it's like, guys, uh, home is not a place. It's a people. Right. All these people. amazing people who are going to be ruthlessly slaughtered off screen yeah. before the credits even roll in Avengers Infinity War. The after uh, credits bit does show uh, the Thanos ship appearing. It does show, the, uh, yeah, the ship in appearing. Front of yeah, like the fact that they were all oh, I pretty, didn't notice that. pretty yeah. um, uh, <laughs> uh, killed off without much fanfare uh, at the beginning of this movie. And uh, presumably uh, Tessa Thompson's character, mm-hmm. Valkyrie, like makes it off. Uh, okay. Yeah, they mentioned a couple well, people were able to escape. Yeah. yeah, they say that half of Asgard is still alive. Mm-hmm. Like Thor recounts that later. Right. So assume that before shit went down, pardon my language, uh, that Heimdall rocketed some people out of there or whatever. But I mean, like, because also we don't see uh, Korg or Meek. So like, I'm thinking that you know they'll they they'll... have to be safe. I, we have I, we have, have some scrappy survivors places. out there. Like I yeah. mean, because like, you, they wouldn't kill Valkyrie off off screen. My issue is not that we start like partway through the attack or that Valkyrie's not in this scene or whatever. I'm actually more bothered by the fact that like a, the planet we saw saved in Va- Guardians of the Galaxy yep. Two is a throwaway line in right. this, but now it's yeah. completely destroyed. Yeah. Uh, it, it did. Really it weird. did feel like real. Like my feeling was like, why did we go through all that for Thor? Like right. Thor Ragnarok, you know? Like what yeah. was the point of all that if you're just going to kill half of them right up top? Yeah. But the you know the charitable way to look at it is this movie is establishing stakes really efficiently in the right. first few minutes, right? And uh, and so that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I could see it see it both ways. Uh, I think Loki as a character has not really worked for me the last few films. I mean, he's a good guy, no. he's a bad guy, he's a good guy, he's a bad guy. I understand that in comics this happens all the time. I yeah. think transferring it to cinema, like something is lost in the translation. And so when he dies, I'm not like, oh, that's right. so tragic. Because he's, I mean, he killed tens of thousands of people in <laughs> Avengers 1, right? right? So I, 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 I don't like how I, this movie in five minutes fits a whole Loki arc. From another right. movie, right? So, yeah. like, and, but we, it's also we, a movie, the, an arc mm-hmm. we've seen over and over again. I find that really frustrating because, like, re- when I was getting ready to watch this movie, I rewatched a bunch of the old ones, and like for years, Loki was one of my favorite characters because he's interesting in Thor, but in Avengers, man, like in Avengers, he is the best villain. He's so yeah. entertaining and wild and theatrical, and he, like, I mean, you remember we, we remember when he went to Comic Con and like people like were worshiping Loki, and it was like. <laughs> Not because you like what he stood for, but it was because it was kind of that thing that you thought, if I'm going to be a villain, I want to be that kind of villain. It's just so mm-hmm. over the top and so much fun. But then it was like they decided, and I don't really care what the comics say, but they decided as as the MCU, people like Loki so much we need to redeem Loki. And so that became mm-hmm. the ongoing arc of redeeming Loki, redeeming Loki. And like by the time we get to Thor Ragnarok, Loki is just a punchline. And that's actually I wrote about this for fangirls when I ranked all the MCU villains. Like that's actually really frustrating in retrospect that you had this very powerful, interesting character that basically just becomes the sidekick that gets tied up and kicked around. Mm-hmm. And then in the beginning of this movie, they just want to move quickly on and be like, but look, and I really feel like Loki's death is just to show us how tough Thanos is, that it's like, oh, you think Loki's the coolest MCU villain? Well, Thanos just choked yeah. him out. And it just feels very like and I know Jeff likes WWE I get it but it just feels like a very like <laughs> shortcut move 
that I yeah. didn't find very well, like emotional. I, I think it could be done. It can be done well, right? To really say like, "Hey, this is what we're doing now. We're not kidding around. This isn't right. Thor Ragnarok here, right? <laughs> this isn't fun and games. You're gonna kill your favorite characters, and uh, we're not gonna explain like uh, what 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 really happened. You know what we got here. I think okay. there are ways to do that. Um, I don't know if it's like the editing or kind of how they jumped into it or something. You know, in a lot of ways, this movie reminds me of The Last Jedi. I think when we're done going through the plot description, like just the way this movie gives you sort of like a plot whiplash at times. Right. Um, I think even in this first scene, you see that. But yeah, for me, this first scene sets up all the problems I have with the rest of the movie where it feels rushed. Big things happen. Mm -hmm. We don't get to actually spend enough time with what happened. And uh, yeah, the consequences of what happened, we we kind of forget because we're running quickly to the next thing. Right. And, and I mean, yeah. even later, Thor makes a comment that he's like, well, my brother's died before, but I think it really stuck this time. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the problem, though. Like, it, it's like I understand yeah. that you want to make a big impact by like, look at deaths right out the gate. But like Heimdall is no one's favorite character, as great as Idris Elba is in the mm-hmm. part. Like nobody is going to be devastated by that. And then like Loki the death is so hit and run. It's like, and it's also, yeah. we've seen him die how many times on screen well, before? Well, guys, let's, let's not forget that at least he had an amazing plan for taking down Thanos, stabbing him in the face. Right. That seems so beneath <laughs> him. Like Loki can like make doubles of himself and do all this cool stuff. That felt, I felt yeah. like this really cheated Loki as a character. It is funny though, that he basically accomplished the mission he had from the first Avengers. So <laughs> give him the stone. Jeff Kanata, sure. any thoughts before I move on to the next scene? I, I did think think the movie started, uh, you know, in, in third gear. And I think that uh, it's cool because it eventually gets, you know, up past fifth gear into crazy town. So it doesn't start on 11. But it, I did think I did think we were, wow, we, we hit the ground running here. And I think that's by design, right? I think that that's what they wanted. I think you guys level some some legit criticisms, especially with how quickly these things are dispatched, how stuff that was supposed to have uh, be very important before uh, is treated as just, you know, flotsam to be, to be cast aside by a more powerful villain. Right. But I, I don't have as much of a problem with that as you guys seem to simply because I felt like it established in a very shorthand way how potent this threat is and, and uh, you know, seeing the first time we see Thor in this movie, who is really the first Marvel hero we see in the film, he is on his knees completely defeated, right? Mm. That is, that's a pretty, I think, uh, powerful way to start a film about a bunch of heroes is to say, Hey, Thor, who's a God and one of the most powerful uh, Avengers is on his knees, completely uh, you know, completely defeated by this guy. I thought that was a pretty bold way to start the film. And I get I, of all the scenes in the film, this might be the one that I, I will concede uh, feels a little uh, uh, rushed, you know, real mm-hmm. little. And, and yeah, we, t- there's a lot of missing gap stuff uh, mm-hmm. between, you know, that's off screen, as you guys said. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll grant that it could have been handled. I think it could have been fleshed out more, but you know, at two hours and 40 minutes already, I, I didn't have a, a, a huge problem with that because we quickly get to stuff that I think stretches its legs more and, sure. and leans into character a bit more. But I do think like first scenes are very important, right? They really mm-hmm. set the tone. They really like, you know, you, you see like what the pace of this movie is going to be. And uh, honestly, the first Avengers like did not have a great opening scene either. Like I think the whole Loki introduction with Nick Fury and everything is super rough. 
but at least like, uh, yeah, eventually that finds its footing. I feel like this movie starts sprinting and just keeps sprinting, keeps sprinting until it like collapses. So I, yeah. I don't know. Mm. It feels right. like a cold open to me more than a, the yeah, first. Yeah, scene. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or, or almost like a post credit scene. Like some people have mm. referred to this movie as like a series of post credit scenes in some in some yeah. ways. Like, um, <laughs> but anyway, a Hulk crash lands at the Sanctum Sanctorum in New York City, reverting to Bruce Banner. He warns Stephen Strange and Wong about Thanos' plan to kill all uh, half of all life in the universe. In response, Strange recruits Tony Stark. Ma and Obsidian arrive to retrieve the Time Stone from Strange after a battle including Peter Parker. Ma captures Strange. Stark and Parker pursue Ma's spaceship while Banner contacts Steve Rogers. Um, so uh, I appreciated the fact that this movie really, yeah, like it, it starts in third gear and it just keeps going. And uh, I thought this was a pretty solid action scene. You know, I thought like uh, it's cool to see Iron Man and Doctor Strange and combine their abilities together and take out this third dude, uh, Ma, right, uh, who has telekinetic powers and kind of see what that would play out like um i dug it i i I felt like you know Mm -hmm. this movie this i almost felt like this should have been the opening scene you know like uh yeah for a whole crash landing this this would have been like a much more energizing uh opening scene to like get us into what this movie what this movie's tone is more like Mm -hmm. but interesting point yeah I, like I think the action in this is good and that it's like you see just New York destroyed again but it's not in the typical way of like you know I feel like we see New York get destroyed a lot in these movies but this felt like a kind yeah. of specific and a different part of New York and I thought that was all really thoughtfully done and um I really love the character stuff in this which for me is always the stuff that really sticks with me at the Marvel movies more than like the action or whatever is like I love that like Peter jumps out the school bus and like when he shows up, you know, Tony just can't stop talking about wizards because he keeps having to slam Doctor Strange even as he's trying to save his life. Like I think there's a lot of good character stuff in this movie that sets up um, what I think is the most impressive and emotionally engaging arc, which is the Peter and Tony stuff. Mm, mm-hmm. Right. Most I, definitely. I do think the introduction of the stones is uh, – it's just weird. Like uh, yep. what, what I mean yep. by that is the stones are uh, space, mind, reality, power, time, and soul. Right, those are the six stones, mm-hmm. and it's just like if I was going to divide the universe into different powers, I wouldn't make one of them power. You know, like I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't choose. I wouldn't choose those six I mean, elements. Right, and it's so, also the right. thing of like this is supposed to be the MacGuffin to end all movie MacGuffins, basically. Like it is the ultimate MacGuffin, and it's still so dumb. Mm-hmm. Why, like, why do you think it's, it's just, dumb, Christy? Explain more about that. Let's, because let's not, even yeah. as yeah, because even as Wong is like, at the beginning of time, there were these different stones. There's one part where he says what one of them is. And like, I watching it, I can't remember now which one it was, but I watching it thought like of when like Captain Planet's team gets together and the one kid's like, and I'm heart. And yes. you always laugh at that kid because you're like, oh, God, you're heart. That's not even an element. And somebody else in the theater mm-hmm. laughed. And I thought someone else in this theater was also thinking about that kid going, I'm heart. I just it's like the Infinity Stones never interested me as much as I enjoy watching Marvel movies like the concept of like this stone controls power. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Right. And like, I don't think the movie satisfyingly explains what most of these things mean. Like reality, they managed to get some stuff, but it seems like largely they just don't really know what to do with stuff. So they're like, uh, let's just purple blasts people. And like, (laughs) I just feel like in, in the implication of what this gauntlet actually does, it's very haphazard and sloppy. And that was very frustrating. They were important in a lot of the other films, but I do think like, 
it would have been nice to spend maybe a little more time about like what what they all mean maybe ahead of this like even if yeah we saw a glimpse of thanos at the end of avengers one right in the post credit mm-hmm. scene and since then i think there was like one other scene that he appeared in uh but beyond that like he's always been this like it's weird. I, I I feel like if this was going to be the big coming together film, like we had so much time to build up this character and really, you know, build up some intrigue there. Give me a sense of what this is rather than a guy getting jewels for his power glove. I, I think uh, what you guys yeah. are really pointing to is like Thanos probably needed his own uh, origin film, right? Because I think, because I think, yeah. if, this is if, right, this is his origin film, but I think, but, but, but basically, I think like. Having the previous films, the other 18 Marvel films, grind to a halt to explain what Thanos is, to explain what the Infinity Stones are, like, we would be complaining about that if that happened in those films. So I think, like, this movie tries to basically be a Thanos origin story and also unite all the Avengers, and that's just a lot to handle in one film. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so the fact that it pulls it off even moderately competently, which in my opinion it does, I think is a Mm -hmm. really big achievement. But I gotta disagree with you guys, (laughs) as usual, I guess, and say that... uh, the infinity the, i think the the thing that the filmmakers here get so right is that the details of the infinity gems are the least interesting stuff like it, all that matters is that if he gets all of them he gets to do whatever he wants mm-hmm. and so in do in in and having that be the case what he wants has to be very very important mm-hmm. and that is what is so i think unexpected about where they went with thanos is that they gave the what he wants very big stakes, very, uh, I think, a very grounded um, perspective and ideology and made it made it a, a true MacGuffin in the sense that it doesn't it doesn't matter about the weapon. It, ima- it matters who wields the weapon and why. Sure, and it but- really leans into that, I think, to the movie's credit. That's not how the MCU has worked. I think what has really worked for the MCU is the focus on the characters. Yeah. Right? Like the whole phase one thing, you know, phase one includes what? Iron Man one and two, that first Hulk and uh, Thor. And then we move into Avengers. I understand the use of a MacGuffin. I understand like, whoa, let's not treat this like it's not important or anything. But uh, that the worst MCU movies kind of did that with their plot points. And the best ones found time to kind of wrap it all into character. I will say, though, I think that my favorite part of this movie is what it does for Thanos. I did not expect him to be a fully realized and kind of a fleshed out character uh, with desires. Uh, you know, he, he cries at one point. Like, this is a guy... I I felt some empathy for this planet crushing monster, and that is a pretty big accomplishment. Right, this and, is and, top and, and I thought he was incredibly yeah. boring and just a hodgepodge of the other villains we've seen already. Like oh. after so much right, talk right. about this villain, I wanted someone that was really going to knock my socks off, and instead <laughs> we get another genocidal dude. And like I. I yeah. just don't care. And then they're like, oh, but he has a daughter he loves. And I'm like, sweet. Like, we, whatever. <laughs> I found it really interesting that they managed to instill this evil being creature whose desire to destroy a, a large amount of life, which is clearly an evil idea, that you there is a way to understand how he gets there, which is, hey, yeah. the problem is there's not enough resources to go around. So... I'm the only one in the universe who recognizes that problem and is going to do something about it. And the way I'm going to do it is in a way that 
in my twisted mind is the most fair way I can come come to it. Sure. He's wrong. I, I don't agree with him. Obviously, it's, it's ridiculous. Right. That's to all to quote, you know, Walter Sobchak, say what you will about the tenets of national socialism. At least it's an ethos. And Jeff is right, in my opinion. This villain does get uh, motivation and and gets the basics sure. of what we expect from a decent villain in a film. And so to the extent that that is far superior than most other Marvel films, I think it's a success. I would easily put this in top three villains next to Killmonger and Loki. Obviously, there's lots of disagreement on this podcast about how effective that is. But, you know, uh, we're just going to have to let that sit there. But anyway, in Scotland, Midnight and Glaive ambush Wanda Maximoff and Vision. Uh, Rogers, Natasha Romanoff, and Sam Wilson rescue them and take shelter with James Rhodes at the new Avengers facility. Vision offers to sacrifice himself by having Maximoff destroy the Mind Stone in his forehead to keep Thanos from retrieving it. Rogers suggests they travel to Wakanda, which he believes has the resources to remove the stone without destroying Vision. All right, well, here is, um, here's where, like, really, I kind of start jumping off this, the train of this movie, you know? Um, first of all, I think the Wanda Maximoff Vision romance plotline is just it's just nothing like there's nothing there mm-hmm. for me to really feel like this is a well thought out romance that makes me feel like the emotional crux of this film is this relationship they make stew together they make stew it together. was, it was right. paprikash right it was paprikash it was great <laughs> yeah. yeah and yeah. and so the, that they're together and like that we're supposed to really care about whether the relationship survives i, I just did not feel it you know personally mm-hmm. Sure. It, wa- it was super cool when uh, Captain America shows up and catches the spear in the dark, and that yeah. was an amazing moment. Oh, Cap. But then, um, <laughs> I love vi- Cap. <laughs> but then Vision offering to destroy himself, it's like, guys, that is an offer you take no matter what, <laughs> right? <laughs> I- I mean, there's no reason to decline that offer. If there's, you right, know, right. to quote uh, another great uh, superhero, if there's even, or to paraphrase Ben uh, Affleck in the Batman v Superman, if there's a one percent chance he can use this stone to destroy half the universe, maybe you should get rid of the stone, guys. Right. Um, it, it, that that was like vexing because it's like I love Captain America, but the logic there didn't make sense to me because I understand he's an idealist, but also he has seen how idealism can really bite you in the ass through like Civil War and Winter Soldier. And like, I just feel like with Vision, Vision is is saying like this is a thing we have to do. And right. Vision's right. Vision is 100 percent right. That's and it's like I understand if they destroy it, they don't have a movie, but it feels more like this is what we need Captain America to say, then then it feels like this is what Captain America would say because he's a soldier. He understands that, like, the tough choices that sometimes need to be made. The way my wife put it, which I thought was very astute, was half the souls in the universe are worth Vision the possible robot. <laughs> which is like, he's a really cool robot. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like the possibility. They don't even know for sure. They don't even know one hundred percent. He's also a new and unique life form in the universe. Okay, no, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I, 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 I hope you're enjoying the spirited debate. But Jeff, yeah, if what, what are your thoughts on this? Like, I, I liked that scene. I, I liked, uh, I liked the fact that the uh, very, very comic booky romance between Scarlet Witch and Vision, which is all over the comics and has no mm-hmm. business in a in a big film, big mainstream film. They actually are. They're like, fuck it. <laughs> we're doing this we're actually making vision and scarlet Witch fall in love uh in the movies i i just that tickled me but again i'm not uh i'm not neutral on this point so but i i think i understand the 
con- the theoretically what you're saying is true, Jeff. Like if they had, I just, I guess, I just don't think they did a very good job establishing what Vision is and what his potential is. You know, yeah. in in Avengers: Age of Ultron. It's. I mean, it's because we're, we're they're trying to do so much. Like that's like that's kind of my ongoing complaint about this movie. Even though I, I like some of the character stuff a lot, this needs, to, as you said, Dave. Like this needs to be have a real emotional weight to it. And I don't think that we've spent enough time with either of these characters for the for this to function the way it should, unless you already have an attachment to the comics. Because right. like. How many pieces came out before this movie came out that was like, hey, everybody, this is all the stuff you need to know about Wanda and Vision. And it's like, you really do, because in the movies itself, it's like the last time we saw them, they were flirtatious. Mm-hmm. And now, like, it's like, you know, he's literally like, let's not be heroes anymore and run away from the world. And that's a pretty huge decision. Which is which actually would be fine if the climactic moment of the film did not depend on it. You know, I think right, if it was right. just like a side story, right. it's like, whatever. But the climactic moment of the movie depends on it. And I just don't mm-hmm. think there's enough there to really hang the entire movie on. Unfortunately, it, It's not like I want them like first things like, oh, man, this the stone is pretty bad. Let's just kill Vision like right away. Right, <laughs> right. Build up to it. There's not even an argument about it you know it's not right. even like hey guys like maybe we should reconsider the possibility <laughs> right, like they that... talked more about the accords than they did this that's exactly. really right, right, right exactly that's yeah 100 agree with you christy on that one so mm-hmm. anyway uh guardians of the galaxy respond to a distress call from the asgardian ship and rescue thor he surmises thanos seeks the reality stone which is in the possession of the collector at nowhere rocket and groot accompany thor to need Nidavellir? sure to retrieve we'll a weapon capable of killing thanos there, they and Itri create Stormbreaker, an enchanted battle axe. Meanwhile, Peter Quill, Gamora, Drax, and Mantis find Thanos at nowhere with the Reality Stone already in his possession. Thanos kidnaps Gamora, his adoptive daughter, who reveals the location of the Soul Stone to save her adoptive sister Nebula from torture. Thanos and Gamora travel to Mor- Vormir, a planet where Red Skull, keeper of the Soul Stone, informs him the stone can only be retrieved by sacrificing someone he loves. Thanos reluctantly throws Gamora to her death, granting him the Soul Stone. Okay, that was... Well, that paragraph that I just read is like there's a lot an hour like an hour of, of content. <laughs> it's like, it's a long section of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a uh, few things I want to call out. Like I thought the Thor meeting Guardians of the Galaxy was absolutely delightful. I that yes. just whole yeah. very charming. Like uh, seeing him and Peter Quill bounce off each other was a delight. Uh, loved all that stuff. This um, loved it. Although that that whole meeting instantly makes Peter Quill like ten times dumber, and I feel yeah. like that. That lasts throughout but the entire But also that movie, makes sense right? because it's like you can't have Peter Quill meet the Avengers and not come off like a doofus because right, Peter right. Quill is 100% a doofus compared but to Especially a god, like a guy with all this yeah. like, uh, all this ego and like all this – pirate like, angel. Right, right. I, I think it's totally within Peter Quill's character. All this stuff is within yeah, Peter yeah. Quill's character in my opinion. It doesn't I strike mean, me I, as out of character. Yeah. I really like the Guardian stuff in this. I think it's true to their characters. I think it makes sense. Uh, Peter gets irritated. Yeah, Quill gets irritating me later on, but we'll get to that. But Mm -hmm. um, I like the Thor stuff, too. I thought that they had a very nice continuation from Ragnarok, though not necessarily the first scene. Like, we get one scene where he's mopey about what happened. Um, But even that, I can... by the way. Like, I'm glad they had a moment for him and Chris Hemsworth to actually, yeah, show off his chops a little. I'd even buy that because... Thor has very much become, like, grounded in the fact that, like, 
his life is more than about him and it's more than about glory. It is about what he can do for the universe. So I even buy him being like, I need to dust myself off, risk mm-hmm. my life and get this axe because I'm the only one that can do this. And mm-hmm. like, I thought that arc, I think he's one of the few characters in the film that actually has a successful arc as opposed to just a few scenes. Yeah. And I thought Hemsworth was great. And weirdly, I never would have thought like him and Rocket interacting would have been as fun and rewarding as it is. But like, you got actually touching moments with like Rocket, Groot, and Thor repeatedly. I, I was really yeah. pleasantly surprised. By all that. Yeah, all that stuff was great. I, Peter Dinklage showing up as that guy was a, a great piece of casting. Although okay. I thought Dinklage's performance was pretty rough. Uh, he, <laughs> it's like, weird. It's just weird. He's like kind of doing this screaming, bellowing thing that didn't really work for me. Uh, but the the imagery of them uh, kind of forging that weapon with the, the yeah. energy of a star is so beautiful. It's like something, someone, something that someone dreamed of, and then they put it on mm-hmm. the big screen, and uh, it, it looks incredible. So uh, I agree with you guys, like the Thor stuff and the, the him meeting the Guardians, all that stuff really worked for me. Jeff, any, uh, any thoughts you want to add to that? I missed um, many lines of dialogue in this movie because the audience was laughing so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like I'd miss the next line and I'm looking forward to watching it again when I uh, uh, can watch it in my my own home and I'll be able to hear all the, all the great lines. Brian Rohn in the chat room says, I sound like a homeless person yelling at the bus station reading through this plot summary, which has so much detail and information (laughs) for all these random characters. Anyway, it's a bit, it's a bit intense um, to to kind of parse it all, all, all out. But yeah, I mean, I thought that all that stuff was great. So then Thanos kidnapping Gamora and the, getting the soul, soul Stone. Red Skull shows up. Like, that was a big moment, and I appreciated yeah. how shocking it was. Of course, it was not played by Hugo Weaving. It was played by uh, Hugo Weaving impersonator, Ross Marquand. But, um, <laughs> Ross Marquand. But, yeah, uh, uh, crazy moment. And, uh, I mean, a, like, I think a question to ask, right, is... Thanos throwing Gamora off the cliff to get the Soul Stone. Did that moment affect you emotionally? Because for me, yeah. it didn't quite work. And I think it, I, when it didn't quite work, I was like, hmm, I'm not sure this movie is really working on me in the way it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. As much as this movie didn't work for me, this particular scene, I think, clicked really well. Because of uh, you know uh, the performance of Thanos, uh, because of the slow, creeping realization of what he had to do and him like working through it um, kind of helps too, that the CG isn't as bad as it was in a lot of other Marvel movies. So like y- you can see some of the performance in the character there, the, the death and the fact that he had to do, it was all kind of moving, definitely moving for me. Like, cause I think we get a sense that this is permanent. This doesn't feel like one of those comic book movie deaths that'll be, you know, reverted eventually. Um, but my my big issue with the scene, I guess, is that uh, this movie really turns Gamora into a really passive character. And I understand that her relationship with Thanos is one built out of like childhood abuse, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. He kidnapped her. Uh, he obliterated her family and her, you know, half her planet. Um, so she is kind of powerless against him. That was just kind of tough to see, I guess, like just given how badass okay. and how much we've seen from Gamora. And I think the fact that she didn't even realize like what was happening like until it was too late kind of that just made me sad like does that tell us that oh man she thinks so little of him that he pops you know he can't possibly love anything which is what she says but yeah i wish uh, she caught on to what was actually going to happen a little sooner 
Because it didn't seem to give that character much credit, I guess. It was upsetting yeah. to me that Gamora, like Thanos' love for Gamora was used against her, you know, in yep. the scene. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, it was deeply upsetting, but I don't know that it wasn't supposed to be deeply upsetting. It's supposed know? to like, be, yeah. And, yeah. and so to, to that extent, it worked. But the loss of Gamora, it, w- it was shocking. And I didn't, uh, you know, so I, I guess it, as I'm talking through it, it did, it did kind of work on me. But mm-hmm. I, I think where it didn't work is just this idea of Thanos being a really tortured soul like that that right. never landed right. for me the, the the idea is that thanos well, is like only i have the will to do it even though it pains me and that i never got that he was really tortured about it um right yeah. i mean my thing with it is that i think because of the performance style where they've decided that thanos is a zealot but he's also a military man so he does this like he has this you know it's very straight bearing and he speaks even when he speaks with emotion it's with this kind of like low grumble and it just feels kind of muted and i mean then gamora over the movies that we've seen her she is also a very withdrawn character who has a lot of emotional like walls up so this scene i think the reason it didn't work for me the way i think the film wants it to is because like you pick two characters who are not very emotional and having one of them like cry softly and one be freaked out for a second. It, it's just, it's not a big enough moment that it really hits me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I did feel cheated by that. And I also mm-hmm. find it really frustrating because I do think you're supposed to be upset by it, but it's like here you've presented an abusive relationship. And I think it's really disturbing that, it is it is not even her love or her allowance or her connection to him that right. destroys her. Yeah. It is his love of her that destroys her. Like that's mm-hmm. such a such it's just very upsetting and very uncomfortable. And maybe that's fine because we're clearly not supposed to be comfortable with it. One thing I did like about the scene is that because this is PG thirteen, we cannot show blood in excessive right. quantities at all because the MPAA has a weird thing about that. They will allow, allow incredible violence in a movie. Like, you know, go back back and watch The Dark Knight. That's PG-13. Sure. Mm-hmm. But the way they managed to show violence in this film without getting into blood, like in this scene, Gamora gets shoved off a cliff. We see her falling. We see a close-up of her face horrified. We see a close-up of his face when she hits. You hear a very soft sound of like a of a of a collision and then they cut to a long shot we're very very far away of her on the ground and there's yeah. a little bit of blood on her forehead but mostly it's just her red hair that kind of is a stand-in for the impact and i thought that was actually very artfully done because it was a way to pull the graphic violence so they can get the pg-13 rating but without pulling the punch of that moment i, I do feel like the moment itself could have been you know, the, the landing shot, that final shot is well done, but the actual act of him doing it and everything and her fall, I don't know. I kind of expected more, especially given, you know, how important she has been as a character. Right. Or at least I think how much what you're I like supposed her. to feel in that moment is, mm-hmm. wow, Thanos really does love her and what an amazing sacrifice he's making in the furtherance of his crazy goal. Right. Uh, and I just did not feel that. I felt I felt oh, more, yeah. no, I felt I more like it was that. a violation of Gamora, you know, that he's, Mm -hmm. that like his love was a violation of her and is being used to kill her, you know, like I I do feel like you're supposed to have that sense of that though, because of how they shoot it, where um, he again takes her hand. Like when they introduce the two of them together, Mm -hmm. he takes her hand and leads her away from all the slaughter. 
And in this, he's taking her hand to lead her to slaughter, which I thought was a nice, and by nice, I mean well done, not like, it was charming, uh, yeah. callback to that. I right. thought that was well Right, done. yeah, that, that it, was cool. And they show, showing the flashback, I thought was um, pretty well done as well with uh, mm-hmm. Thanos meeting Gamora for the first time and, and the circumstances under which she became his ward. I really liked that although again, Although, again, young Gamora, look, look around, girl. What's happening? You you see what's happening? <laughs> well, to be fair, I don't you. think she had a great childhood. I mean, she says so in the film. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, still, I, I do think like when it comes to violence. By the way, I love the scene, the torture scene with Nebula, because uh, that was really well constructed. I think mm-hmm. right when the camera pans over and you see like, oh, she is fully disassembled right now. That right. reminds me of some like uh, Ghost in the Shell imagery, like especially from the manga. I think. The, just like a disassembled cyborg and kind of how beautiful and kind of horrific yeah. that can look. Beautiful right. and horrific is a really great description of that. Yeah, for, And for, it was actually a really powerful way to show violence against women that is upsetting, but mm-hmm. not uh, like too graphic, I guess. Right. Yeah. And all that stuff uh, from, uh, you know, the scenes before that, when they first uh, encountered Thanos and um, sort of using the, uh, the, the stones that he already has in his possession to, you know, uh, turn the bullets into bubbles and and turn people into play-doh and stuff. I thought that was all uh, inventive and fun and But also that was what was weird to me. It felt so out of place with what we know about him that like the things he chooses are these almost childish endeavors of like bubbles and as you said like it looks like Drax turns into blocks of clay and uh Mantis is basically like a jack in the box that like spirals out. It's such a weirdly playful thing for him to do. Like, I just don't understand where that came from. It felt like mm-hmm. a disconnect from everything else we see. Reality is a play thing, right? Reality m- means nothing to him at that point because he can just do with it as as he wants. He's he's just um, you know able to, able to literally mess with anything he wants. Yeah, Christy, I do agree with you that like, how would he think to do bubbles and stuff? Uh, and you know, to Jeff's point, yeah, maybe it is like everything's a plaything. We haven't seen that side of Thanos, but maybe this is a way of expressing it. Mm-hmm. What, what more bothered me about the scene was the idea that oh, once Thanos is leave, once Thanos leaves, everyone just reassembles themselves. You know, like <laughs> well, I actually been thinking about. That and I think that has to do with like, like what the pal like. I don't think the range of the reality stone right. reaches that far. Yeah, I, I think I, that's perception. I think that's right. I yeah. wish I wish um, the movie had done a little bit of a better job of explaining it. But like, I think it's right. like okay, you can just assume that okay, Thanos is gone, and so his powers over the reality are no longer present. Right. And, yeah, and I mean, I say like I'm coming at this from watching it twice, and like it's not like I was looking for errors, but it's like things that didn't make sense to me the first time. I wanted to see if they click better the second time, and, and it's just. It is frustrating because it's like there are things that I like, but I wish that this movie like I I agree with Devendra. It feels like it feels like a series that they had to squish together. So it feels like there's all these pieces missing and those missing pieces are just so frustrating because it's like I would have liked to have seen like I would have liked to have seen more of a romance between Wanda and Vision. I would have liked to have seen what happened to Xandar. I would have liked to have seen you know, an arc that actually, because I feel like even when we meet Thanos in the flashback, he doesn't look any different. He doesn't sound mm-hmm. any different. It, there there feels no progress of who he is, except this like military man who's like, let me talk to you about balance, Gamora. And like, I never get a sense of like why he chose to save. I mean, he says it's because she's a fighter, right? But it's like all this stuff feels hollow because it feels like there's not enough time to develop it because we have to race to the next thing. I, I mean, mm-hmm. here's one thing we, I think we can agree on, guys, is... Thanos had an eventful day. And what I mean by that is <laughs> he's apparently spent the last 10 years getting one Infinity Stone, right? And then gets the remaining five in what feels like 72 hours tops. 
right? So it's just, <laughs> like, maybe just like, I should have just done this from the beginning. Yeah. Guys. I, I mean, I there know. is that post credit scenes where he's like, fine, I'll just do it myself. And it's like, well, right. wow, you, you really should have done this a long time ago. Thanos, that was know? 10 years. It's a really high functioning sociopath. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I largely agree with you, Christy, that uh, it, it does try to do a lot and doesn't necessarily succeed at everything. Also, one other, one other random thing about Wanda Maximoff it is odd to me that this is what the third or fourth film where she has a speaking role, and I mm-hmm. still don't think I know what uh, she's doing with that accent. There's like, no accent anymore. Is there an it's accent? Gone. It seems like it disappeared. It's gone. Yeah. I would be willing to accept that now that she's been in hiding, maybe she purposely got rid of it so that yeah. she'd be Vision like. Vision helped her mm. with Vision right. Tutoring. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I kind of felt she, like she I heard has a lot it of powers. Though. I bet she could change her accent. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. I don't know. Moving on. Nebula escapes captivity and requests the remaining guardians meet her on Titan. Thanos' destroyed homeworld. Stark and Parker kill Maw by ejecting him from the ship and rescue Doctor Strange. Uh, landing at Titan, they meet Quill, Drax, and Mantis. Strange uses the Time Stone to view millions of possible futures and states there's only one in which Thanos loses. The group forms a plan to confront Thanos and remove the Infinity Gauntlet. Thanos arrives, justifying his plans to Strange as necessary to ensure the survival of a universe threatened by overpopulation. The group subdues him until Nebula deduces that Thanos has killed Gamora. Enraged, Quill retaliates, breaking the group's hold on Thanos, who overpowers them. Strange <laughs> Wait, surrenders the time let, stone. Let me just stop there. Yeah. Nice job, Peter Quill. Yeah. <laughs> nice job. Nice job dooming half the fucking universe, Peter Quill. <laughs> because you had feelings. Strange, Strange surrenders the time stone in exchange for Thanos' uh, sparing an injured Stark, and Thanos departs for Earth. Okay, a couple things. All the stuff yeah. on the ship with Doctor Strange and uh, Peter Parker and Tony Stark I thought was awesome. You know, Peter Parker and Stark, uh, Doctor Strange interacting, and and him saying like, "Oh, have you seen Aliens? It's this really old film, right?" Which that I thought was, well, they, they, they drove they, me crazy because they yeah. made that same joke in Civil War where he's like a really old movie, and I'm like, okay, like, yeah, that's what's just... so delightful about it. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. It's what you like before, but different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was like the one thing that I was like, "You guys are better than this joke." <laughs> like, just. But I really did like the rest of it, and I did not like the movie Doctor Strange. The character didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. I thought it just felt like an Iron Man ripoff, and I was not into it. But in this, when he's actually interacting with people, and you get to see how he's different from Tony, like similar but different from Tony, right. I liked all of that stuff. I and like the Peter stuff in this. Peter Parker is my favorite part of this movie, and like. I I used to read Spider-Man comics on and off, different versions or whatever, but, like, Tom Holland, to me, just... Mm -hmm. The way he approaches this character with just a real desire to want to do good. Like, Mm. he's not in it for, like, pride. He's... I mean, like, in Spider-Man Homecoming, we see that he kind of wants to be famous and, like, uh, as Spider-Man or whatever. He wants to be a rock star. Every kid wants to be a rock star or whatever. But in this, it's like, he has so many opportunities in which he could just be like, and I'm out. You know? Like, Mm -hmm. Iron Man gives him the out, gives him the parachute, and is literally like, bye, Peter. But Peter's like, no, like, I'm sticking around. I'm here. I'm here for this fight. And I found that so noble. And then... In the like one of the few moments where this movie actually allows itself to take a breath is when Tony says to Peter, you're an Avenger now and like taps his shoulders like he's being knighted. And Peter just stands up a little straighter and stares off proudly and the music swells and you just get that moment. And like for me, that is the things that I love about these movies. And the reason I come back is for those moments where you really get to see who a character is. And I Mm -hmm. thought that stuff was all fantastic. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff on the ship was great. Them them figuring out how to kill Maw, I thought was cool. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that seemed like a very plausible way to kill that dude, and you see that he's dead because he's frozen outside the ship. Uh, yeah, all that stuff on the ship totally worked. So uh, awesome stuff as they yeah. arrive. I, I, do, I do think a lot of these characters meeting each other, though, like Tony Stark and uh, and Doctor Strange. Um, given what's happened over the past couple of years, I find it amazing that these two super powerful people don't know. Yeah, they don't know each yet. other. Yeah, 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 that they haven't met. Like, did he even know? He sounded <laughs> like he was incredulous even about the name Doctor Strange, like as if he had never heard of this person. So that's the sort of like I don't know, tidying up <laughs> that I'd like to see a little more in this universe. If all these people are running around and uh, I don't know, at the same time, like all the Netflix characters should exist here too, and we'll never hear right. about them in the right. Marvel the, universe. The moment yeah. when Guardians of the Galaxy meet Doctor Strange and Tony Stark though was such an awesome mo- like. Mm-hmm. It's just like my geek heart is exploding that these guys are meeting and um and I'm like oh please don't please don't hurt each other too much like don't don't do <laughs> permanent damage to each other you know because uh they think that they're you know against each other and then it and then like Peter Quill makes some I think um pop culture reference and then they realize that he's from Earth and and it just all the, all the way it played out I was just like this is so mm-hmm. awesome you know I love seeing these characters bounce off each other that have been introduced years ago and. Uh, it's just delightful. Just delightful. So right. Um, and while we were we were digging on Peter Quill or Star Lord or whatever for the like what he did is incredibly stupid, but it was incredibly in character. Exactly. Because he's exactly. he's a very emotionally driven character who yeah. you know, is super impulsive. But like yeah, I have more of a problem with that sequence that like their plan is like now everybody tug on the gauntlet and it just like it just seems so silly. Like even when you have superheroes doing it, it feels silly that it's like we just have to take this thing off his arm. And then especially whenever Peter comes over and instead of helping them tug, he just like that just drove me so crazy. Well, it made me I, mad. Oh, I, I agree with you that the conclusion of that scene was silly, but everything leading up to it was actually awesome. And this is something I wanted to say totally about Thanos great. earlier mm-hmm. is that. What they what is so great that they achieve with Thanos is that they make him really powerful. Like he beats Hulk in the first scene of the film, but they make it they make him seem beatable, and that that is really difficult to achieve. He, not beatable by like one Avenger, but maybe five Avengers right. working together could beat him. And uh, I thought the way this scene played out, this is basically this movie's airport fight scene. I think it's basically mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. how would you know four or five Avengers going up against. Uh, or four or five Avengers slash Guardians going up against uh, this really powerful being. How would they use their various powers um, to take him down? And I thought, oh yeah, this this all like makes sense. It's all very creative. Uh, Peter Parker with that like uh, cool spider suit thingy, the legs that pop out of the back and stuff right. like that. Mm-hmm. All, all of it I just thought was a really well thought out uh, mm-hmm. set piece where all the different characters get to use their individual strengths. Um, so I wanted to call yeah. out that like that is probably my favorite fight scene. Uh, or set piece in the film yeah Um, and it's it's really inventive like getting to watch peter jump through the portals and stuff like that there's a lot of a lot of stuff there that was actually really fun and playful and reminded me a lot of the first avengers where you got to see these things that would be like conversations you would have with your friends about like just imagine though like if if thor hit captain america's hammer what or shield what would happen Right. right like i like that it felt like that it felt like it felt like being in the play box or play box playground sandbox you get what i'm saying sandbox all those things you're in a play box with a playground and a sandbox and yeah (laughs) it's definitely my favorite uh set piece in the movie too like i don't think there's because there's so many battles the wakanda one which we'll talk about just feels like noise to me like it it left really very little impact but this one they at least get the stakes right like the point where thanos is just like you know picks his arm up 
and commands the power of the moon right behind him oh. is probably one of the most badass things. You know, <laughs> he throws I, a I planet at a person. Yeah, he yeah, throws a planet a at Tony at Stark. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. It, it it is awesome. Um, that and, was the moment in the movie too where I I thought, uh oh, because <laughs> this is how this is how they're supposed to beat him. This is this was the moment, and then right, it, right. that when that fails, I was like. Where's this movie going? Right, yeah. right. And even well, the line where like going? Peter's like, "Did we lose?" And it's such a yeah, it's uh, all your fault, Peter Quill. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, Peter, we lost, and let's talk about it. <laughs> well, I think uh, the moment that uh, it didn't register with me until after the film, what they're trying to do is it, like you're seeing characters do stupid things left and right, you know, and mm-hmm. at first it was disorienting. You're seeing Peter Quill basically give up the game because he got emotional and whatever. It's in character, but it's also infuriating still. You yeah. know, I can yeah, be infuriated yeah. even though it's in character. But then Doctor Strange coughs up the time stone even though he's sworn to protect it. Now then later on you understand, right, that he right. coughed up the time stone probably because this was the one way in which they could win, right? He says, right. as he's fading to Ash, he says, like, this is the only way to Tony Stark, right? That's what he right. says. Right, because it's like, if in the scenario, because there's a point in the movie where he says to Tony, when Tony's like, we should go to Titan and face Thanos face on, he says to Tony, I will, I will just so you know, I'm not going to save you. I'm not going to save that kid right? if it's you or the Time Stone. But then when he does, it's not like all of a sudden Doctor Strange has like grown like a soft spot. It's that mm. he's seen one eventuality, and in that eventuality, we needed Tony Stark. Well, at first, Christy, I thought it was that, and I thought the movie was terrible. <laughs> you know, I thought like, <laughs> oh wait, are we supposed to believe that Doctor Strange now has a connection to Tony Stark? And then I was like, what are you doing, movie? But then I came to the realization that it's what you said, which is mm-hmm. somehow coughing up the Time Stone is going to lead to their victory, right? So, uh, but <laughs> for a moment there, I was like, what is happening in this scene? Anyway. So, uh, all right, we're, we're approaching the end of this film. Upon arriving in Wakanda, Rogers reunites with Bucky Barnes and the Avengers task Shuri with extracting the Mind Stone from Vision. Thanos' army invades and the Avengers mount a defense alongside T'Challa and the Wakandan forces. Banner, unable to transform into the Hulk, fights in Stark's Hulkbuster armor. Thor, Rocket, and Groot arrive in Wakanda and rally the defenders. Midnight, Obsidian, and Glaive are killed and their army is routed. Thanos arrives, forcing Maximoff to reluctantly destroy the Mind Stone and Vision with it. Thanos undoes her actions with the Time Stone and retrieves the Mind Stone from the resurrected Vision, destroying him once again. Despite being severely wounded by Thor, Thanos activates the complete Infinity Gauntlet by snapping his fingers and teleports away. So, yeah, I I mean, Devendra, (laughs) I I kind of agree with your issues with this scene. Anytime you're having your heroes facing off against an army of faceless minions, uh, it just is hard to feel... And super invested emotionally, especially in after. Well, this is happening all concurrently yeah. with the with the other Thanos scene, right? Yeah. So like we're intercut. jumping. We're jumping. Yeah, we're jumping between these two things. And one thing I care a lot about, and one thing I could give a fuck about, and that's <laughs> right. that's kind of like a lot of the movie, I guess, because it's cross cutting. You know, earlier on, we're cross cutting between what Thor is doing, and then you know what Iron Man's doing, and then what the rest of the crew is doing. So. it's just a shame yeah i feel like it's obligatory it reminds me of like watching game of thrones where i like Mm -hmm. a lot of the characters on that show but there are some i give zero care about so every time we cut to them i'm like i may go to get a sandwich or whatever like (laughs) and like that's the thing that's frustrating about this it's not like for instance like another show that i love is deadwood where i either love or hate every character on that (laughs) show so no matter what is happening i am riveted but in this, it's just like, uh, yeah, like we're, I don't know, they're fighting a bunch of Cloverfield monsters. And like, 
I just, it's just, I couldn't get into it. I like, and I was just like, I want to be excited about this, but like, I think my favorite thing in the battle scene is when, uh, I, how do you say her name? Okeo from Black Panther. Mm, Good okay. how to pronounce her name. Sure. Yeah. When she gives side eye because Banner <laughs> wipes out in the Hulkbuster. Like, again, I like the character moments. And, like, it's like we didn't get as many of those in the battle, though I did love when Bucky picks up Rocket. Like, that's mm-hmm. beautiful. But yeah. I'm, I guess I'm getting a little ahead of myself because we haven't hit the point where. Oh, no, and we also, did. Yeah. Was it some time for Shuri to have some glory? Yeah. All great. Yeah. And it's like I like the like I like the interactions. I like when, like, Steve Rogers said, like, I am Groot. I am Steve Rogers. I love that. That's like <laughs> that's the stuff I want to see. There's tons of that in that scene. I mean, one of the things that got me very emotional was seeing. T'Challa and Steve Rogers race out ahead of their armies to be mm-hmm. to be the point of the spear like that mm-hmm. just like that That's such amazing a beautiful, but, but like poetic the battle thing. itself them versus rando alien dog things there's no conflict there you know what I mean like we're not being like oh man I sure hope that they don't hurt those alien dogs too bad I'm, I'm gonna take it one higher level than you Christy which is that you know, um, without giving too much away about the most recent season of Game of Thrones, the most recent season of Game of Thrones involved this big quest that all these characters are going on <laughs> that, in my opinion, was extremely stupid. And the whole time I was questioning, why are they going on this stupid quest that's not going to accomplish what they're trying to do? And then people die needlessly during it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of how I felt during this scene. It's like, just freaking just freaking kill the vision guys just just it's it's not worth it it's not worth it and so I'm just right. like, and well, it also felt like well, wakanda went through so much and now they're sacrificing like their entire yes, nation this is what you get yes for opening up right. Right. completely uh, with everything you just said christy anyway sorry, one Jeff, of the go. best uh wakanda forevers though man when he says wakanda forever in, in this movie i just burst I mean, into it's tears amazing and like There's all a, the dialogue yeah. around that like because okeo says something like uh like he become uh, um abaku says that like this is going to be the end of Wakanda and she says something like then it'll be the greatest ending in history and like there's a lot of really beautiful lines in it it's just it's so vexing from like a storytelling standpoint well but that's you know that's the difficult thing right that one of the reasons that um civil war works so well is because you have iconic people on both sides of the fight right you had the fight is people you know very very well whose power sets you understand very very well uh, that's why having big named villains is useful because understanding the rules and what they do and having some investment in who they are on either side. That's why that big uh, fight in the at the airport hangar in Civil War is so great is because every single combatant is important, right? Can't really do that if you only got one Thanos, right? And we we invent some some children of Thanos to to uh, work in this movie, but even they are a, a, a little, you know, generic. And uh, in order to have this big war, it's basically the, the orcs attacking the towers. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I understand that's a, that's a, that's a problem in the sense that you don't have an iconic villain on the other side, but I think the way it was handled and, and how many incredible moments are strewn throughout that sequence. I think it, I think it trumps the the scene in Two Towers for my money in 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 just pure number of iconic cool character moments. I mean, you have the the moment with um oh god, who is it that says, says uh, uh I don't want to die alone, and then uh, Black Widow says, but she's not. Proxima says he, you're going to die alone just like he will, or he will die right. alone just like you will, or something to Wanda. Yeah, she's not alone, right? Yeah. that's an awesome moment. Uh, I, I felt like 
over and over and over again, there are cool expressions of the powers, cool team-ups of characters. Uh, It's a really well-executed sequence and so much fun from my perspective. I just uh, – I, I understand the the idea of it being a big nameless horde, but it, it allows a sense of scale of what this battle is. I mean if you're going to call a movie Infinity War, probably should feel like a war instead of you know 27 people attacking one big purple guy with a, with a glove, <laughs> right? Uh, and I think that that – it delivers on that. It delivers on it feeling like a war, feeling like big stakes. Wakanda, which we've just fallen in love with through this whole movie, is genuinely at stake here. I, I, I thought the sequence worked really well. Yeah, there are a lot of great moments. Um, I think for me, you know, I, I was checked out of it just because I, I was I questioned the fundamental uh, motivation of the mission. But mm-hmm. I, if you're on board with it, then I can see this really working well. So and I think uh, on its own, like maybe in a smaller movie or something like in a movie where it wasn't right on top of all the other battles and everything, like right. I, I maybe would have been less exhausted with it. Mm. Um, but that that's kind of it, right? That's the whole point of the movie. This movie is a lot, yeah. and that, right, that's right. that's it. I did really like the moment where the where Banner again tries to get the Hulk to come out. The Hulk refuses, and so Banner, because Banner gets so much crap for that he's not mm-hmm. like a real hero. Everybody wants the big guy, and I really like that that it was Banner that defeated I forget what the big dude with the axe's name is, but they like he <laughs> killed one of the children of Thanos. Like he did it, and uh, I, I liked that. I liked that that was a moment that we got to see because like yeah. in the emerging Banner versus Hulk conversation that's not something we had seen before when yep. thor shows up mm-hmm. when thor shows up man it oh. is like it, it crescendos in such a satisfying way and you really feel like he has this new weapon he is at his most potent it is it, he's got tears, two eyes Jeff. again tears mm-hmm. uh, that's yeah. the one moment in the movie that i'm like that is like the classic avengers moment when this yeah, you know guy shows up in the nick of time and just owns everyone like that. I just uh, yeah. it's, and the music swells. It's just such an amazing moment. That that was the one moment in the fight that really moved me when Thor mm-hmm. shows up and you're like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be awesome. And I was crying at Wakanda forever. Yeah. I was crying at at Steve Rogers and T'Challa running to the front of the pack. I, I just thought there was so much emotion in yeah, a nameless, faceless enemy, but the stakes of our heroes and the camaraderie of our heroes. I, I the movie and. I think almost all the Marvel movies just get that. They get that better than anybody else. A movie that has so much to do finds time again and again and again to focus on that stuff, to include it, to add quips and and wonderful asides and references to old – I mean all of the Rocket Raccoon Thor back and forth is, is delightful. Uh, we've already commented on uh, Tony Stark and Doctor Strange back and forth. Mm-hmm. And Peter sort of being this this jubilant, uh, happy-go-lucky kid in, in the middle of all of it. I think this movie completely succeeds on the character level. I think it is uh, extraordinary how throughout what is a very action-packed, set-piece-laden film, there are always opportunities taken to uh, reinforce what we know about these characters, how we feel about them, who they are, and how they feel about each other. But here's my argument, counter argument, because there are there are good character moments. I've said that throughout the thing. I've said that. But here's my problem 
is that this is a movie that focuses so much on Thanos that we don't get arcs from most of the other characters that we actually give a shit about. Because, like, I, at the end of this movie, I still don't care about Thanos. I still don't have any empathy for him. I still think that he is a kind of rudimentary villain that they have tried to build up to make interesting, and it didn't work for me. So I get very frustrated that, like, Captain America, who is my personal favorite Avenger, <laughs> gets very little to do. That's very frustrating. And then it's like, you know, I like the Peter stuff. I think Peter gets an arc. I think that Tony gets an arc. But most of the characters in this don't really get an arc. They just get Mm -hmm. to appear a couple of times and do a couple of things. And like little lines of dialogue are literally the least that MCU can give us with character. Even though the movie felt long to me, I do think like it would have been if they went the full like close to three hours, closer to three hours Mm -hmm. or something like let those moments breathe. Let those big character deaths sink in a little and yeah give us maybe more arcs like uh between the characters we actually know while also building up uh thanos like you can do all that it would just take much more time um i'm not sure if like in you know disney's coming off of a very long star wars movie too right so this is already two and a half hours long i I wonder if they just like didn't want to risk going much further Well, well it's also half of a movie yeah, well, so that's... I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a few seconds. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of arcs, right, this arc concludes with Wanda Maximoff heartbreakingly deciding that, hey, I'm going to kill Vision to try and save the world. And in a twist that is, you know, I haven't experienced this much rage since Michael Haneke's <laughs> funny games, uh, <laughs> Thanos rewinds what just happened and uh, and you know uh, prevents vision from being destroyed and and so he on. Totally so, had the time stone in uh, funny games. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was. I mean, yeah. Those those thieves <laughs> had the time stone. I mean, uh, as my wife put it, feels like some of the like if you're gonna go for the stones, like definitely go for the time stone first. That one feels really right, powerful. Right. 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 Um, but uh, so yeah, Thanos undoes her actions, retrieves the mind stone, and uh, destroys vision again. Um, I mean, so so it's you gotta. I think, right, ultimately, you have to be as tortured as Wanda Maximoff is for that moment to really work its maximum impact. And I just didn't feel that way. And, you know, (laughs) uh, for that reason, it didn't work for me. But um, vision, though, like we see him destroyed twice. And that second time is pretty horrifying. Yeah, that's the closest thing to a corpse. I think we've seen uh, in these movies. Like it, it looked pretty other pretty than scary. Gamora, but yeah, seeing Vision all like yeah. color, colorless and stuff was really yeah. upsetting. But yeah, I, I agree, Devendra. On a visceral level, it does work. <laughs> I think that like just like, and you know, I'm angry. I'm angry that like <laughs> I, I was subjected to this, and I, I don't. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm like I'm angry. Yeah. Like the movie made me mad. And so anyway. Thanos activates the complete Infinity Gauntlet by snapping his fingers and teleports away. So let's talk a little bit about this. I don't actually remember seeing him snap his fingers. You guys see that? I don't remember. Yes. I, oh, okay. I think I was blinded with rage too. So. <laughs> he snaps so, his fingers. He snaps his okay. fingers, and then uh, he gets teleported to this like other world where he talks with his uh, with Gamora and like, was it worth the cost? Right? Uh, which is like a strange, retirement plan. strangely his, uh, powerful his... moment for me like again i didn't really buy the idea of thanos as being super tortured but just how beautiful that moment was it felt very sublime to me um and then when you snap back i think it looks like the infinity gauntlet is damaged right it's like yeah smoking. it's completely shattered it's like yeah. shattered right and so yeah um maybe it's not going to get that many more uses out of it and then, guys, the ending, the shocking ending of the film. I'm going to read this last paragraph here. Thanos' plan succeeds with half of all life across the universe disintegrating, including Barnes, Drax, Groot, Mantis, Maximoff, Parker, Quill, Doctor Strange, T'Challa, and Wilson. 
Nebula and Stark remain on Titan, while Banner, M'Baku, Okoye, Rhodes, Rocket, Rogers, Romanoff, and Thor are left on the Wakandan battlefield. A healing Thanos arrives on another planet in the country of... Oh, it says here in the country of the Philippines? Huh. Sure. Okay. Okay. I don't think that was in the film. <laughs> I didn't film. know that. All yeah. right. Uh, yeah. Maybe some, maybe a Wikipedia person just edited that right he before. He just I really wanted to retire. That might in, have like, been a like the location they place. shot, but like, yeah. yeah, I don't think they they clarify in the film where where. <laughs> I don't think it's the be. Philippines. I'm just gonna put that out there. I think this Wikipedia. You guys didn't see the wrong. big the big white blocky text that came Philippines. up on the screen and said Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Um, okay, I I, I want to know what your experience of watching this scene was because I have a very specific experience. But but mm. Jeff Kanata, you want to tell us about your experience watching this scene? I think it's an incredibly audacious move on their part. And the, the audience gasped. I gasped. I don't, I was holding my breath. It felt crazy. We can talk about whether or not it, it's permanence affects, you know, ultimately uh-huh. how it lands, but I don't care. Like I, because it felt shocking and audacious at the time, like in that moment, seeing that happen and how it's not just that they blink out of existence. We don't know who is going to live and who is going to die. They slowly fade away. The moment where Peter starts freaking out and you think, Oh, it's just, it's just Peter Parker overreacting because he's a little kid. And then he hugs Tony and there's some sand coming up and I'm like, Oh, it's Tony. It has to be Tony who dies here. It has to be. And And let me say this movie once again, for like the the second or third time, uh, yeah, does not kill Tony Stark when right. they it clearly could have. It's funny. In fact, right. I I think yeah. you'll, I think uh, the entire original Avengers lineup survives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, which and, is and that's interesting. really fascinating because I because um, many of them are uh, like their contracts have run out. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and it, I I kept expecting, oh, it's going to be Stark that bites it, or it's going to be right. uh, Chris Evans, right? That that because right. these, these people have all talked about not wanting to do Avengers films anymore, right? And mm-hmm. uh, meanwhile, we know there's a Black Panther uh, sequel because Black Panther needs to make another billion dollars of revenue for Disney. Um, <laughs> right. We know there's a Spider Man like, sequel coming in 2019, right. right? So it's like it's interesting and there's that like all, Guardians movie, volume right? Guardians three Volume coming. Three. So it's interesting that all the people. Who uh, whose contracts have run out survived, and all the new characters die or you know it, faded away or something mm-hmm. like that. Right? Like it doesn't it doesn't matter to me that all of that meta commentary can be brought to bear on on it because in that moment, none of us knows what's going to happen next. None mm-hmm. of us knows, and it is a truly shocking and truly I think uncharted territory. I mean. I did – Peter Sreda and I – I don't know if there's anybody else present in that podcast. But several years ago, I think after the first Avengers film, maybe somewhere around there, uh, we did a, a podcast where we just guessed about where things were going. And I kind of you know talked about where the comics have been and I predicted a, a, a lot of stuff that would lead up to a movie like this. Uh, hopefully, you know, I was, I was wishful thinking, thinking actually, you know, how could that possibly come to pass? But mm-hmm. uh, even – Knowing lots about where all the comic book storylines have gone that a lot of these movies have plucked from, we are now truly in an uncharted territory. Like this is not how the comic books resolved this. Mm. And how thrilling is that to be in a place where what is this next movie going to be? What it, where, how are they going to resolve this? What's going to happen? That's how I think 
magic happens, that's how greatness happens, is when a company like Marvel can be so not precious about their properties. Yeah, maybe I'll undo all of this. Fair. It's happened many times in the comics. You undo whatever. <laughs> and but maybe, even in and these maybe, movies. Yeah. And even yeah. in these movies, correct. And and maybe... Even in that, this movie, by the way. Like right. undoing what happens by the gauntlet, but yeah. Well, and maybe that will even end up feeling cheap. I certainly mm-hmm. hope not. I mm-hmm. certainly hope not. But in that moment, I was I bought in completely. I felt uh, this sense of limitless possibility, and I did not know who was going to live and who was going to die. I did not know wh- what that meant for everyone. I found it chilling that the movie ends in this way. We see Thanos sitting there victorious, and that's the way that they're going to let people in this big summer tentpole film walk out of the theater. And then you see the title card and that fades Burns away. To dust. To that dust. made me furious. That made me so <laughs> that, like in a way that it should, but it felt like such a, like, we're just going to turn uh, the knife counterclockwise. Brutal, brutal. And then, and then at the very end, Thanos <laughs> will return. Yeah. Right. Thanos oh, yeah. will return. He fucking won. Thanos will return. You know, we have established a tradition in these Marvel movies. Captain America will return. The Avengers will return. Thor will return. Thanos will return. The next movie might just be called Thanos. I don't Uh, know. So experiencing this with like, because they they held off showing critics, even critics who did the junket. So basically everybody that was covering this movie saw it at the same time effectively, which was uh, a rare experience for these kind of movies. Um, So everybody in the theater who's going to see it does not know what's going to happen in that sequence, which uh, is intense. And so when Bucky calls to Steve and starts turning to dust, I gasped. So audibly, I was horrified. <laughs> I but heard that, it. Yeah, yeah. As I said, Devendra was several rows in front of me. Um, but yeah, the uh, because that was an arc where we have seen Cap do so much to save Bucky's life and soul, and then literally he turns to dust before his eyes. And the idea of Cap falling to his knees and touching the ground where it's just the dust where his friend oh. is was very moving. And I was I was kind of like, oh man, like I was hooked. But then the very next death. <laughs> Well, I shouldn't say very next because we see a bunch of like Wakandan soldiers disappear and Mumbaku be like, what is happening? But then it cuts to uh, T'Challa and Okeo and and watching it again, they shoot it. So you think it's going to be her. Right. He goes to pull her up. His his arm, right? You see his arm going. Right. And he says, this is no place to die. And it's when he connects with her arm that you start seeing the dust. But it's him. And like, that's when I was like, oh, None of this matters. Right. <laughs> like, and that's what was so frustrating because it's like the the way it's structured is beautifully done because everybody that turns to dust, it's there's someone there who is either speaking to them or looking mm-hmm. to them or right. is shattered by witnessing that. And I thought that was amazing because not only do you see the death, but you see the immediate impact and it really bolsters it. Like after everything Rocket has done for Groot, he sees Groot die. Yeah. You know, like I thought all of that stuff potentially had a very good payoff, but like, and the Peter Parker stuff, Tom Holland plays that scene so mm-hmm. beautifully. And like even even in his last moments, he is still calling Tony Sir, and it destroys me. But it's undercut by the fact that I'm like, I know that Spider-Man Homecoming is getting a sequel. <laughs> so like it's frustrating to me because I have covered these movies for ages now, and uh for an age of Ultron, if you will. Um God nice. don't no one. Sorry, nice. that's embarrassing. Nailed but anyway, it. I've covered this for a long time. 
And I think that's why I get so fired up. I know that some people, I'm sure there's some, we've already had people tweeting at us that they feel like some of us are being too negative and whatever. But the thing is that why this is so frustrating to me is because I have bought into it when they've killed characters again and again and again, and then they always undo it. And I understand that in comic books, you kill a character off and then there's a new set franchise or whatever. So that's sort of true to the comics. Mm -hmm. But in movies, it, it starts killing the stakes and like, I don't know how many people watched Doctor Who, but to me, it reminded me of that where all of a sudden they were like, oh, but like, it'd be more fun if we didn't have all this baggage. So let's just undo <laughs> this major plot point. And as much as I want the thing to be undone because I like the character it affects or whatever, it also feels like a cheat and just starts feeling like you're not even playing by the rules anymore. I was just thinking like, man, this is the stakes of this moment. Are, are as dust as like what these characters are turning into. It right. doesn't really mean anything. And that's like, it doesn't matter how they're going to handle it. It could be great. They could like sacrifice everybody in the future or it could just be super cheap. I don't know. But yeah, I, that's what I wasn't thinking about. My perspective is that I don't think sawing the lady in half on stage is any less magical because I know the lady's going to get put back together. I, I think yeah, but you've seen that trick before, Jeff. You will fail to be impressed with it after a certain point. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't I don't think that's analogous here because this particular trick that we saw is is pretty uh, on a scale yeah. that we haven't really seen before. It, it, it's it is, cutting it six is, ladies it, in half. It's the same <laughs> yeah. idea, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. As usual, I agree with both of you. I think that Jeff is right. Like I, I am looking for. So here's the thing, Christy. My experience of this scene was exactly the same as yours, and it was mm-hmm. when freaking Black Panther vanished that I'm like, right. they're definitely not <laughs> doing away with Black Panther, right? Uh, and and so as I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, yeah, Bucky, yeah, maybe this is his time. Maybe this is Bucky's time. Black Panther, um, no, it's not Black Panther's time. Uh, and then it, it basically they they killed too many of them. For you yes. to believe that yes. they're going to stay dead, or, or uh, some people don't it. like to refer yeah. to them as killing; they just vanished, right? So, so the, too many vanished for you to believe that it's going to be a permanent thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so that did emotionally undercut the moment for me, personally, right? But I also agree with Jeff that I am very curious to see how they're going to fix the situation. <laughs> like, I am very curious to see how they're going to undo this. I'm very curious to see what sacrifices will need to be made, and also. We don't know that all of the people that vanished will will come back. We know some of them will come back. We know that Black Panther's going to come back. We know Spider-Man's going to come back. We know some of the Guardians of the Galaxy are going to come back. But we don't know everyone that's going to come back. And so uh, I am looking forward with much anticipation to seeing how they're going to resolve the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I agree with both of you. Like uh, On the one hand, it does feel a little cheap. On the other hand, Jeff, I agree. Part of it is the journey. I'm going to read this email from Scott from Baltimore who writes in, I've seen many people say that the characters who turn to dust in Infinity War will all be back and therefore their deaths don't matter. I completely disagree. Typically in comic book storylines, death is significant due to the change it causes rather than its permanence. Marvel has spent 10 years endearing audiences to these iconic characters and to watch them simply fade from existence is incredibly heartbreaking and more importantly, extremely significant to the surviving Avengers long-term character arcs. In comic books, it's not whether a character who's died stays dead that makes a death significant. It's how the surviving characters are changed by this death and how the resurrected character is changed when they return. After Robin was killed in Batman and Death in the Family, did he eventually become back? Yes. Was Batman still irrevocably changed by his death? Absolutely. Was Robin irrevocably changed after coming back? Even more absolutely. Same point can be made when Peter Parker died in the Superior Spider-Man run in the comics. Suffice to say, there are countless examples of comic book deaths that remain significant without permanence. 
Um, and then he goes on to say here, uh, the deaths in this movie will be a weight on the minds of surviving characters and influence every action that's taken next. In what way is that not significant? The final shots of this movie are all you need to know that these characters will never be the same, end quote. That's fair. I mean, like, if it's, like, Buffy or something where, like, it's not just that they turn it back. It's, like, that she comes back and has the total yeah. awareness of her own mortality. That's a really interesting idea. Well, right. if they treat it more like The Leftovers, which, by the way, there's their Carrie Coon connection. Yeah. Um, but if, like, you know, we actually deal with the world where half, you know, half of the living things or deal with the universe, really, so everywhere. But uh, if we actually deal with those stakes, that would be something but the, like these Marvel movies have not done that for a lot of these. Mm-hmm. I think, scale. Uh, Christy, well, you're, you're, you're worried about a world. Totally... You're worried about a world where they just like turn back the clock and everything's OK mm-hmm. again. Right. Like, I think that's what you're. Well, you're I mean, about. I'm not necessarily thinking about the specifics of like, how is the next like four going to mm-hmm. start? I'm like, like, I, like you explained it very well that it's that, you know, there's just as soon as they kill Black Panther, I disconnect emotionally because I know that that's not going to stick. But it is an interesting argument that, like, who are these people going to be in the next movie? If, if it doesn't get turned back immediately, there could be a really interesting journey to that point. And we don't know necessarily mm-hmm. who these people who come back, who they will be. So maybe, like, Peter coming back after knowing that he died, maybe that'll have an impact on Spider-Man Homecoming sequel. That could be really interesting to see. So that's a good point that I admittedly did not consider. Avengers 4 starts with... Uh... Thor standing over the body of Thanos and Black Panther sits up and goes, oh, thanks for bringing me back with the time, Jim. <laughs> what should we do next? And then there's a whole nother movie of just them like having a new adventure. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. I, I mean, that would start just like this movie, right? So uh, <laughs> that's the joke I was making. Oh, yeah. slam. Um, so I also think Thanos kind of off there in his own planet. I'm curious what Thanos is doing next. Like, is there He's enjoying a... retirement, guys? Right, right. But maybe, my ties. I, yeah. I feel like it's possible yeah, the movie's because... setting up Thanos to to be uh-huh. somehow dissatisfied with his current state. I feel like... Well, I mean, that's what happened in the comics, right? Because, like, as I understand it, in Infinity Gauntlet, which, as I understand it, is what these are mostly based on, Thanos snapped out half of existence at the end of, like, the first book of, like, six and then tooled around and did stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know, Jeff. You ha- you'll have to comment on that. But... Yeah, but it's it's apples and oranges. I mean, it's a completely different story. He He's... Yeah, he's doing it for death and the other celestial beings. And oh, so there's uh, a quest beyond. Just yeah, it's a completely di- yeah, it's 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 apples and oranges. But, um, but yeah, I'm curious yes. like where where the Thanos stuff is going and what his role is going to be in the next film now that he's achieved all that he set out to do. Uh, but guys, let's uh, wrap up this conversation by talking about the post credit scene, which in my opinion was one of the better post-credit scenes. Um, yes, sure. There have been some pretty rough post-credit scenes in this uh, series. This is one of the better ones. Nick Fury and Maria Hill are riding down the street. I think they're talking about either Hawkeye or Ant-Man, like while they're, you know, they're making some reference to, to one of those characters. Um, and then you see basically what would happen if half the world's population disappeared. Planes crashing, cars crashing, helicopters crashing. Um, and in, the, in his final moments, Nick Fury transmits a distress signal as he disintegrates. Uh, and you see this device display a star insignia on a red and blue background. Uh, for those who don't know, that is a reference to Captain Marvel, uh, which is going to be played by Brie Larson. And the, the Captain Marvel origin story movie is going to be coming out in March of 2019. Um, now, my understanding of Captain Marvel, and Jeff, you can help supply any supplemental info here, is that this is an incredibly powerful character. Kevin Feige has said like, it's the most powerful character uh, they've ever introduced. Uh, yeah. And this woman can 
uh, like shoot energy out of her arms and like you know live for a really long time. So she'll probably look the same as she does you know in the in Avengers: Infinity War Part Two as she does in Part One uh, in the in the origin film and uh, po- possibly manipulate time. Um, so yeah, it feels like she's going to be a big part of the next Avengers film. Uh, any other thoughts you want to add to that, Jeff? Yeah, she's one of those galactic heroes, right? She works on a, a power scale that's greater than sort of the the Earthbound heroes. It's going to be interesting to see how she plays into this story. Uh, I, I I also loved that that post credit scene. I thought it was awesome to see uh, Samuel Jackson back and then him disintegrate and how that all happens slowly as he, you know, he drops the beeper. I just thought all that was executed really, really well Mm -hmm. and uh, Mm -hmm. makes me very excited. And I think I like that they're back to having these post-credit scenes be little daisy chains into the next thing. Uh, you know, they're, they're fun when they're just little joke moments or kind of fun little, you know, beats of, you know, send you out on a silly note. Uh, those are fun. And I, I like them, but uh, you know, this started with them being this tease of what's to come. And I would love Marvel to commit to that more and uh, feel like these movies are Daisy Jane together by those. Yeah. This was one of the most consequential post-credit scenes, I think. Um, yeah. Since, uh, since ever. the first uh, right. Nick Fury appearance. Right. And, and uh, I, I was kind of curious, like, was that pager, sending a message back in time you know like is that what was you know because it looked kind of oh i hadn't thought about that because she Uh, can i don't i don't know a lot about her right but also the question is like where has she been the last 20 years like maybe um (laughs) maybe she should have helped out when like aliens were invading earth you know what i mean like she could have been helpful then so like i i want i'm curious how they're going to explain her absence in the last decade or so from marvel films um but uh, it, you know, Peter Serretta revealed that originally they were thinking of ending this film with no post-credit sequence and just Thanos will return, and that would have been even bolder. But I also <laughs> think it would have like this post-credit scene gives you hope. It gives yeah. it's like yeah. it's help it's is the on the one way. One little bit of hope you yeah. have. It's a yeah. tiny, <laughs> tiny bit of hope, but it's like help is on the way. You know, and um, I really, I really appreciate it. It was just the right amount of help. And like you said, Jeff, there's some post-credits that are like completely inconsequential. Uh, and feel like a waste of time. This this movie, there's only one post credit scene. Uh, there wasn't four, like there was in Guardians Volume Two, but uh, they made it count, and I really appreciated that. That is the end of the film, guys. Uh, <laughs> Anything- it's interesting. It's going to be interesting now that it's like we're going to go into Ant Man and the Wasp, which doesn't seem to happen after this movie. It seems that it happens between Civil War, and I'm assuming between this. We'll have to wait until we see it, but like. It's like I, I before we were curious and we were talking about kind of like why are they programming this at that point? That seems weird, and now we know because this is super dark. And if for the Marvel fans that are like, I just like need something cheerful. They're like, oh, how about another Ant Man heist movie? It'll be funny and light. Don't worry about it. Like, so that actually seems like smart. Not exactly counter programming, but it's like shot chaser, I guess. I actually think it's the op. Like my speculation, Christy, is that it's the opposite of that. I think it's. You know, on the Summer Movie Wager episode, you said uh, that Ant-Man and the Wasp was going to look like, quote, kitty time frolics, end quote, compared yes. to Avengers. I stand by that, yeah, but I, I feel like I completely agree. I, I actually think this movie will hurt Ant-Man's box office prospects. I think, like, because because I'm pretty sure that movie, Ant-Man does, and the Wasp, will not take place after this movie. It, it may right. be right. during or concurrently, maybe before. Um, I don't think it'll be after. And so... 
I, I feel like everyone just wants to know what happens next. But, you know, as with many of my predictions, it could be proven wrong. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> it we'll ends see. with Ant Man disappearing in a horrifying, de- you know, piece of death. <laughs> right, right. I love <laughs> the idea that, that uh, I turned after, as I was leaving the theater on this movie, I, I turned to my friend and I said, the only man that can save them. The archer guy and the dude that can turn really small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, assuming they survive. But yeah, it, I, it did I, make I, me laugh that after the whole Twitter thing of like, where's Hawkeye? That he genuinely was not in this movie. Yeah, he was completely <laughs> yeah. absent. I, I Which think... is funny because like I, you know, I did so much coverage for this, and people kept freaking out about Hawkeye, and I was like, ah, oh, it's probably some weird spoiler. There does not. It just genuinely didn't occur to me that they were like, ah, oh, Clint's busy. He's under house arrest. Don't worry about it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, I wonder if that's a contract thing. I really do. Um, I think it's just they need to save somebody for four. So it's like now we – okay, I shouldn't say we know. But we can predict that in Avengers 4 you're going to have Ant-Man. You're going to have the Wasp. You're going to have mm-hmm. Captain, Captain Marvel, Marvel yeah. the people who survived this one, uh, Hawkeye. And uh, presumably the Hulk will get his act together. You'd think, yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, do we have a – first of all, let me just say in terms of box office, I am very curious how Ant-Man and the Wasp is going to do. I think it – you know, maybe everyone's just like, I just want more scraps from Marvel's table, and they'll they'll you know watch it just because they want to see you know the f- five seconds that that movie refers to Avengers: Infinity War. Or maybe people won't care as much because this movie is so big by comparison. So we'll see how that plays out. My, um, I well, would love. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, do we have a th- do we have an explanation for why Hulk did not emerge? Like, I, my perception of it was that. He was so badly beaten by Thanos in the first scene that he like doesn't want to come out anymore. But yeah, it's basically PTSD. Yeah, <laughs> PTSH. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's he, really such a good point. Because like, yeah, it, it boiled down to like he's afraid. But no, that's like that's very because if you notice, they actually the way Thanos beats him is really a throwback to like how Thor beat Loki or Hulk beat Loki in Avengers, where he literally just like whips him back and forth like a rag doll. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the things I hope they address most in in four. I'd love I'd love that to be a a deeper uh, storyline um, in, you know, explore in, like why he had movie. that reaction, basically, like why, yeah. why Hulk didn't come out. Right. And, I think that'd be cool. Yeah, it's also, cool. and I, we touched on this a little bit earlier when talking about Banner, that Banner got to be heroic, but it's also more heroic of Banner in that moment because before he's always been protected by the Hulk where like, I mean, in Avengers, he told us he tried to kill himself and he's like, I fired the bullet and the big guy spit it out. So like, he's effectively invincible. I mean, he has fallen from space twice and survived. And like, that's because of the Hulk. And now the Hulk is afraid. So like when Banner goes into that banner battle, Banner has no safety net anymore that was going to protect him. And I I feel like so much happens. It's easy to miss that. But I liked that moment where he basically says to the Hulk, like, okay, like you don't define me and how I get to be heroic and like forges ahead. I thought that was great. I would love the, Ant-Man and the Wasp film to be a lighthearted uh, romp uh, heist movie. And then at, at the end, after the wrap up, half the people disintegrate into dust For, and they just, nobody understands what's going on yeah, at all. Yeah, No, I, I was thinking about that <laughs> like too. That, like, because oh, imagine that be possible, but that'd be so dark. Like to end that movie. Like, scene. It's just it's like, people disappearing. into <laughs> dust. You know what? Okay. It might be that Lewis is explaining what happened at the end of Infinity War, like right. where he's like out getting brunch or something, Michael and Pena's then he's like, and then how right? the people disappeared? Because yeah. it's like that's the only way not to make that horribly depressing after the end of a fun movie. Yeah, I think that'd be really funny. Uh, another moment we we glossed over that I found to be so fun and so moving is when um, Groot becomes the handle for the mm-hmm. axe. 
Ah. Uh. God damn, that was awesome. I loved that. That was, uh, you know what, I'll give it to them. That is an arc that we actually get. It's not much of an arc. He basically goes from being like pissy and self-involved to actually like sacrificing yeah. part of himself. But it is elegantly done. Yeah, it was It was a beautiful moment. Um, by the way, one of the things I wanted to point out was, was about the people vanishing. Uh, I thought it was really well done because like the people didn't seem to be in pain. That w- That made it more creepy. You know, like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, oh, I'm in Well, they're, agony. like, blinked out of existence, Yeah, it just, it's more yeah. creepy the way it happened than if they were, like, being tortured to death. Screaming or, or something, yeah. Screaming, yeah. Like, I do wonder if that's an MPAA thing, too, where they're like, we can't make this too scary. Children right, are- but it's just, like, imagine, like, having awareness of yourself fading out of existence. is That, that concept is just right. very horrifying, and I thought rendered really well in the film, so... I want to say one more thing yep. that it's going to make everybody mad and angry at me again. Mm-hmm. Uh which is, I really do believe there should be zero advertising for Avengers 4. <laughs> well, to be fair, I think that they did pretty well with the misdirects, Jeff Kanata. I mean, yeah. there, there's, there's scenes but in the, the trailers there's a, that there's don't a difference, even... There's a difference between misdirects on a, on a movie and, and we don't even know where this is going to start, Right. Well, like but I the, mean that they've done that before, though. Like, I mean, you not in the MCU, but Disney has. I mean, look at uh, the Force Awakens when that movie came out. People were like, "Wait, so is the girl the hero? Is that is that what we're learning?" Like, the trailers leading up to that were was just like, "It's a Star Wars movie. You're going to come, and you know you are." So I feel like there's a way to do the marketing, but I do want to touch on because we had talked about this a little bit on Twitter before the episode. Um, an article at the Ringer called "PSA: The Marvel Trailers Are Lying to You" by Kate Hollowell. And it's basically about how many misdirects are in the trailers. And some of them are minor and some of them are willfully hiding spoilers. And some of them are flat out uh, misrepresentational. Like the hero shot in the trailer of all those dudes running at Thanos. uh, The Hulk is in those shots, even though he's not in this film other than the first scene. You know, so Mm -hmm. so they actually rendered a like they CG someone CG'd a fake Hulk into the trailer just to deceive people into understanding what was happening. Um, so, so anyway, to, to Christy's point, Jeff, I think like the fake trailers are kind of in themselves their own journey. You know, like mm-hmm. being being caught along in this like fake ride that Disney's like saying, "Oh, you think X is going to happen?" And they z- you think they're going to zig, and then they zag instead. Like right. that that is kind of its own form of delight as well, uh, which is different than the delight of going in completely fresh, which I know is something <laughs> that you like. So, so I'm just saying there's value to both approaches, in my opinion. Um, I again, think it would be amazing. I mean, I don't. I don't see how you even attempt to sell this movie to a group of people that didn't see this, you know, <laughs> three, right. Didn't see infinity war. So like, just but lean those into people that. Still need to know the movie's coming out. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. you don't, you don't not tell them the movie's coming out, but literally it's <laughs> Avengers, whatever the title is. And like a black screen. <laughs> it's like one of those classic, uh, 15 second teaser trailers. It's just the logo of the, of the movie. But you know, yeah. let me, let me say this also, like maybe it dust, it, it turns to dust again. You know, that that's, that's effective. One of the things that I thought was interesting is, uh, that it used to, this used to be called Avengers infinity war part one. And then they, then there's going to be an Avengers Infinity War Part 2 next year. That movie is now untitled for next year. And mm-hmm. so they purposely – In fact, they tried to make it not seem like it was the Part 2 of the, of the same movie, right? right. It, it, they tried to, to even distance themselves from that concept. Right. I honestly – like Jeff, you were saying this is just half a movie. I don't – Honestly, I don't think that excuse really flies here. This isn't like the Harry Potter thing where literally the movie just stops. After a certain point with like no real dramatic tension, there's a clear like, you know, arc in terms of how everything pans out. And 
it's not a happy ending, but it is an ending. This feels like mm-hmm. a complete movie to me. Well, I, I think like the the last time I can remember experiencing something like this movie ending is The Matrix Reloaded in two thousand three. Yes, yes. You know where it it cuts to black and you know like the next one's coming out in six months and it ends on this total cliffhanger of like what are they going to do with that bane which most people don't even really remember what that meant to like i remember everyone just being confused oh agent smith in the real world what yeah yeah and and but but just like that was such a holy shit moment like way to end that film and i'm just just, Mm -hmm. i was stunned at the end of it and not since that moment like have i been in a, a mass consumer or you know a mass audience event like that and i'm so grateful that i got to that's, experience that you know that's why i don't think it matters if they undo it like because we all got that we got that experience like that it in itself is amazing that in its that moment of holy shit there aren't rules right now like they're breaking the, all the rules they the bad guy's not supposed to win what just happened all of the you know like that and again, this you know this speaks to a, a broader ethos that I have about about what I enjoy in movies is, is that feeling of being in completely uncharted territory and not knowing it. and and maybe you guys feel that that's short circuited by what you know about the business side and that's fair but I lived in that in that moment with an audience beside me all of us gasping and that to me is is irreplaceable and magical. I can agree with that, Jeff. I can agree with that, and I think that's a good place to wrap this up. If we're cool with that. But uh, David says uh, expensively. <laughs> but uh, very cool. Um, this has been one of our longer reviews. Uh, really appreciate you listening to the end here. Find more episodes of our podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Next week, well, stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Christy, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, I write all over the web, but I write daily at pajiba.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Christy Puchko, K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. And uh, career highlights can be found at decadentcriminals.com. Devendra Hardware? Oh, I'm on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at engadget.com. Jeff Kanata? I'm on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And uh, yeah, you, know, you can find out all about my other stuff there. Find my stuff at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY. I'm also doing a Westworld podcast with John Robinson called Decoding Westworld at decodingwestworld.com. Next week, we'll be reviewing Tully, the new film by Jason Reitman. Uh, so really curious to see what that's like. But I, I really loved his last collaboration with uh, Charlize Theron, Young Adult. I thought it was a great underappreciated film. So Tully is the movie we'll be discussing. And uh, you can look forward to that on the next episode of the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of slashfilm.com we're out he watched the movies